creepy's fun. I love creepy. I love scary movies. I love being scared. I love reading creepy stuff. I love writing creepy stuff. I like, like talking to people who have encountered creepy stuff. I don't like to encounter it myself. <laughs> at, at, at all. They were sitting around having supper, and there was a noise from upstairs. Immediately in Dan's mind, he was thinking, it's here, the Harlequin's upstairs, wondering where I am, it's searching for me. And he said his father, who had been you know, denying any of this had been happening to his son, let out uh, just a loud moan, and then a cackle. Oh God. And froze, he just froze. The baby's mom picked him up, and, and the baby was looking at, at this man over, um, over, over his mom's shoulder, and he grinned, and then the eyes just went from blue to completely black. I love a good ghost story, a good UFO story, a good Bigfoot story, but you know, <laughs> these bizarre stories that people never hear, are, are absolutely my favorite. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Coming at you with a real barn burner of a program this week as we welcome back our old friend Jason Offit, who returns to BOA Audio for a lengthy conversation covering the many odd and creepy stories found at his blog, From the Shadows. He has been chronicling the weird and unusual for years, and since I had some time in the off-season, I wanted to sit down with Jason and really go over some of the really strange stories that he has reported on at From the Shadows. So I spent about a day or so just digging into that massive archive at his blog and cherry-picking some of the weirdest stuff I could find. We cover a myriad of stories here, and it would be damn near impossible for me to tell you all about them. Let me give you some of the highlights. We're going to hear tales of wicked priests, harlequin entities, gnome-like creatures, get an update on the black-eyed kids as well as black-eyed people. We're going to hear a story about a fey girl. We'll discuss time travelers and get an update on his research and investigation into the infamous time traveler, Madman Markham. We'll also hear the story of a haunted shopping mall, Gravity Hill in Missouri, a man who claims that he dated an alien, and much, much more. Just a whole slew of really wild stories that Jason Offit has uncovered and reported on at his blog, From the Shadows. And we've got links all over Banal of America to the specific stories. So if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about, say, the Fay Girl or the Harlequin entities, head on over to BOA and there's links to all the different stories you're going to hear us talk about here in this conversation. As always, when we welcome Jason Offit back to the program, it is an episode that is packed with 
creepy stories, but also plenty of laughs. Really feels like the two of us are just sitting at a bar sharing stories and talking about the world of the paranormal. It is the perfect companion to your Memorial Day festivities or summer barbecues. Sit around the campfire with this one, my friends, because you're going to be spooked more often than not, as we welcome back our longtime friend, Jason Offit. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jason Offit, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. Jason Offit is a writer and college journalism instructor. At various times in his career, he has also been a newspaper editor, general assignment reporter, photographer, newspaper consultant, bartender, farmhand, and the mayor of a small Midwestern town. His books include Haunted Missouri, Darkness Walks from Anomalous Books, What Lurks Beyond the Paranormal in Your Backyard, as well as the humor book On Being Dad. On that note, Jason has been named Humor Writer of the Year multiple times by the Missouri Press Association. He lives with his wife and children in Maryville, Missouri, and his website is www.from-the-shadows.blogspot.com. Check it out. And with all that said, let's get down to business, my friends, and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on March 23, 2012. Jason Offit regales us with a collection of creepy tales on BOA Audio Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. This time on the program, we're welcoming back a good friend of ours. He's been on several times in the past. He's a staple of the baseball special, but we're going to be talking about the world of the paranormal here tonight. And he really is a master reporter, researcher, storyteller, so I'm really looking forward to really delving into some crazy stories with him. He's the author of the latest book, Paranormal Missouri, Show Me Your Monsters, as well as What Lurks Beyond the Paranormal in Your Backyard, Darkness Walks, the book on shadow people that is tremendously popular, as well as Haunted Missouri, and he's a humor writer who has won numerous awards and wrote the book on being dad. So welcome back to the program. Very excited. It's going to be fast, loose, and uh, very laid back. Jason Offit, welcome back to BOA Audio. Tim Bonneau, always, always a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Check is in the mail. Yeah, I'm sorry you mentioned baseball. <laughs> We're gonna get the, the regular listeners are going to be wringing their hands if we even go there. So Which, which, which I'm not. Just, just Regular listeners, I'm a Royals fan, so just uh, weep for me. <laughs> so before we sort of uh, get into you know the the overall discussion, how you been in the last? I think it's been a couple of years since we had you on the show. So how you been? You know, in the last couple of years, what's been going on with you? What are you working on? You know, what what's up in the world of Offit? Well, I uh, took a uh, took a short break actually from uh, from writing um, writing paranormal books. Uh, I, I'm still. Uh, uh, kept my blog from the shadows up. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm still seriously interested in, in the paranormal field, but, uh, as you mentioned, I also write humor. So, uh, for the past probably year and a half, I've been pursuing a couple of different humor books. Uh, one of them, uh, which I've, I've gotten some interest in, I had interest in from publishers. I haven't, haven't, uh, picked one yet, but is, um, I think I've mentioned this to you before at some point is, uh, how to kill monsters, uh, with just stuff you got laying around the house. Yeah, yep, I remember that concept, yeah. yeah. 
I've got that in a, in a, in a travel book I've been working on. So uh, um, I've kind of taken a break, but uh, some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, I am gearing up for another book on the uh, paranormal called Dangerous Entities. Oh, scary, dangerous entities. I like that. That sounds uh, ominous. <laughs> Which I like. I'm a big fan of the ominous. So right, Any, anything that gets uh, yeah, anything that gets a reaction or somebody's panties in a wad is always great. <laughs> so what what I thought we were going to do here for tonight's conversation was, uh, as you mentioned, the blog from the shadows is just chock full of amazing stories on there that you've been told by people and you've looked into and written some tremendous blog posts, articles about these various incidents, a whole litany of stuff on there. So. I spent the last day or so just going through the blog, looking it over, and, and sort of compiling my list here of office oddities. So we can talk about some of these weird, uh, weird tales that you've chronicled over the years uh, from the shadows. Yeah, which is which is an under quite an undertaking that uh, that you took, Tim. Because I mean, there's like five years worth of stories on the blog. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't read all of them, but I, you know. I went through as many as I could, and the ones that really stood out, I was like, put that on the list here for off its oddities. Cause well, I can already tell you, you've read more than my family has. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like family now at this point, so I guess it's At this it's point, all... absolutely. Yeah. So hey, You're that uncle who leaves the bathroom open at family dinners. <laughs> Light a match. <laughs> So, uh, you know, so we'll just dive in, I guess, on these stories. So one that uh, that you had mentioned to me when we were sort of corresponding back and forth and, and, and setting this whole thing up was the Wicked Priest, which is a very, uh, you know, talking about ominous, with a very creepy tale here. So I guess regale us with the story of the Wicked Priest, and, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll pepper you with some follow-up questions as to the makeup of this uh, of this tale. Well, the, the the weird thing and the the really cool thing and the thing that makes me you know one of the things that makes me glad I don't don't live in uh, in, in San Francisco um, is is this is this priest uh, because after um, I, I got information and and and, um, and asked questions and, and wrote the story about this first encounter I've had two more people from the same area who write the same uh, you know mass transit system around the San Francisco area who've encountered this this priest entity the uh, the first one that, that I talked with this um, woman had to go into work on a, an odd day she had to go on a, on a Saturday and she normally didn't didn't go but she uh, took the Bay Area rapid transit system they call it BART um, to work, and on the way home, uh, as she was walking out of her, her office building to go to, to, to catch this train, uh, she was clicking off things in her head that she had to do. And uh, she's worried about, worried about work, worried about getting, getting things done. So she gets on the train, she's not really paying attention, and all of a sudden she looks up and she sees this priest. And he's staring at her, and she really doesn't think too much about it at first, but uh, you know, anybody staring at you really kind of creeps you out. So yeah. she started looking at the guy, and he uh, had white, almost translucent hair, and it was was pretty thin. Uh, he had a really large birthmark that covered most of the side of his face. Who? Uh, and and his eyes were were almost all completely white. She she did notice some blue in the iris, but it was like really really washed out, pale blue. And she realized, oh, the guy's staring at me, and the way his eyes look, he's, he's probably blind. Uh, until he started talking to her. 
And he started telling her the things that she'd been thinking before she got on the train. Oh, God. Yeah, this, of course, freaked the hell out of her. Yeah. And uh, so she changed changed trains or changed cars and, and got out of, uh, got, got off the train a little early because uh, she didn't want to get off the train at the same stop, you know, at her stop and this guy follow her. So she got off at a different stop and she waited and waited until the train was gone. She didn't see the priest get off. And as she was leaving, she stopped to buy another pass uh, for for the next week, and she saw a, a you know a bum <laughs> just sitting on the ground. Uh, I, I'm not politically correct, so he was a bum <laughs> sitting on the ground. And uh, she, you know, he was he asked for money, and she looked down, and it was the same guy. You know, dressed in he wasn't dressed as a priest anymore, but it was the same guy, same birthmark, same eyes. Uh, same everything, but he was just, you know, dressed, you know, very, very shabbily, and he, he asked for money, and then he said something about what she'd, you know, what he'd been talking about her on the, you know, to on the train. Oh, my God. So she ran and, and got out of there. <laughs> yeah. and thankfully, has never seen the guy again. But after that story was, was published, I had a couple other people contact me with basically exactly the same tale. Um, one guy's was, was just nails on with, with hers, except for when he got off the train, he again made sure that the guy didn't follow him, and he went and, and got his car and, and started to, started to drive, and he had two ways to go, either right toward his house or left, and turning right, this priest was standing in the middle of the road. Oh my god. It was like, I mean, this guy almost wet his pants staring at this thing, and, and he turned left, of course, and took, you know, a really long, strange way to, to get to his house, because he didn't want this, this priest, this entity, whatever it was, to, to follow him there. Um, and, and the, the, the third one, again, was, was very similar, except for this time there was physical contact. The priest touched this woman's hair, and, and she said it felt sticky. You know, like getting getting a spider web caught in your hair, of course, but it was something you know bigger because it was fingers. And when she turned around to confront the guy that she that was, had been sitting back there, he was he was just gone. That is so weird. It's like got so many different weird elements. At first, like the 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 the, the homeless guy twists kind of in that first one because I was sort of going that way. I was like, you know. Maybe maybe this is some eccentric homeless person, but then it's like he has also has this like supernatural ability. It's very weird. Well, it's it's it's. I'm I'm, I'm envisioning Agent Smith from The Matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, appearing as a homeless guy, you know, all of a sudden, and but he didn't get up and you know use jujitsu on her. He just read her mind. <laughs> this is even weirder. Which is worse? I might rather get my ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. And it's not even like he was saying things that she was thinking at the time. It's like he wasn't even around when she was thinking that stuff. So it's well, he might have been. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Very weird. Very weird. And I but presume- yeah, yeah, but but what what is this? I mean, uh, as you know, as she told me, and as the other two people told me, they weren't you know freaked out by the fact that he was a priest because you know they see people in in religious clothes clothing all the time. You know, no big deal. But. Uh, you know all of the strange things that, that you know, strange and creepy things that 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 sprung forth from that were you know just really scared the hell out of them. Right, right. Well, it's it's with three people, it's even weirder because then it's like this dude's probably lurking around out there. 
like it wasn't just one one lady's weird encounter. I, you know, be wondering if you keep hearing more stories like over the years from people. Anyone who's listening is in San Francisco. Let us know if you run into this thing. Right. I didn't mean to d- disparage your city. I'm sure it's a fine place. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's the uh, the Bay the, the Bay Area rapid rapid transit system is, is. I mean, that's where everybody in, in the you know in in my frame of reference here uh, encountered the guy. I mean, what happened? Could it be you know maybe uh, maybe a, just a bad man who liked to dress as a priest died. You know, while he was riding the train, I, I don't know. Maybe you know, it, it's some entity trying to prey on people who's just, you know, figured that this is a place to do it on. Yeah, I hadn't even given the ghost idea much thought, but now that you mention it, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. You know, it sounded almost albino-like or something too, with the eyes and the, and the hair and everything. But who knows? Right, and well, and they all described his, his skin as really, really uh, waxy, and and it kind of had a sheen on it. Not not like he was sweating, but just like it was moist. Ew, <laughs> this guy's strange. That's a that's a really that's that's just a creepy one. Just another reason why people don't want to use the subway. Right, I don't like running into moist people on uh, public transportation <laughs> either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like keep keep the moist ones into their own car. <laughs> All right, so that's that's the wicked priest story. Now, one one tale that you've uh, been sort of telling a lot over the last few weeks and months or so is this uh, this Harlequin tale, which has been up at uh, from the shadows and also the Mysterious Universe blog. Really creepy stuff. I mean, I don't know how you do it sometimes dealing with all this this creepiness. That's the thing with me. It's like, it's like, although I guess, you know, we've talked about this in the past. There have been times when you've been like, all right, I've had enough of the creepiness. I can't do this anymore. But it, it's, it's creepy stuff. Right. There, I mean, there, there are some things that I, yeah, that I have kind of abandoned. You're, you're right. Uh, which I think one of them, uh, you want to talk about later. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it, it, you know, creepy's fun. I love creepy. I love scary movies. I love being scared. I love, reading creepy stuff. I love writing creepy stuff. I like, like talking to people who have encountered creepy stuff. I don't like to encounter it myself. <laughs> at, at, at all. I mean, I, I've, I've had a couple of things happen in my life, and uh, that's enough. Yeah. 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 So what is, tell this uh, Harlequin story. Well, this is, oh, this just grew amazingly, amazingly uh, bizarre. I, I, I was contacted by a guy named Dan Mitchell just a couple of years ago, gosh, maybe three or four by now, who had uh, been encountering something since he was a kid. He was he was like five years old. He lives in Wisconsin. And an entity, something would come into his room. It was it's shaped like a human. It was really thin it was androgynous and it was it was shaped i mean it was it, it, its face was uh was pointed but it had a round mouth um and, and it, it never had any other expression that it just looked scared yeah. or surprised i think is what he said surprised and it had very very large eyes and and not very much of a nose and this thing would come into his room it was it was dressed in, in very motley clothes uh, he remembers it smelling like it just rained when this thing came into the room. Huh. And he, sometimes it would, uh, you know, be at his window. He, he was, his bedroom was on the second floor. He said once he saw a hole in his wall that it stepped through. But he knows it, it talked to him and it didn't use, uh, very many words. Mostly it talked through dance. 
Uh, it would it would dance for him, and he would know what it was what it was trying to to say. Um, and he said he called itself the Tooth Fairy when he was really young. And I mean, it just it, it occurred and occurred, and he told his parents about it, and his parents, of course, didn't believe him. And you know, years passed, um, two, three, four years passed, and the uh, uh, the encounters kind of slowed down, but it still kept showing up. Uh, and he remembered once at dinner, they were sitting around having supper, and there was a noise from upstairs. Immediately in Dan's mind, he was thinking, "It's here. The Harlequin's upstairs." wondering where I am. It's searching for me. And he said his father, who had been, you know, denying any of this had been happening to his son, let out uh, just a loud moan and then a cackle. Oh, God. And froze. He just froze. And and Dan said the next thing he remembers, he had no idea how much time passed, but he woke up and his face was in his plate. He had food all over his plate, (laughs) his face. And, And the rest of his family had done the same. And when everybody kind of snapped out of whatever, you know, hypnosis or whatever they were in and looked up, they just resumed eating like nothing had happened. <laughs> and he has never gotten his father to admit that he's seen anything. He's he's asked him in the last couple of years, um, and his dad just, he, we won't talk about it. But from, from this point, his uh, mother started getting really strange. His dad worked at night, and his mom had talked about dreams she'd had about... Uh, a man dressed as a woman uh, knocking on the door. She said a transvestite would knock on the door in my dream, and I'd open the door, and then I'd wake up. But it scared me. She started uh, hearing rattling around in the basement. She knew somebody was there. She called the cops a number of times to come and look in the basement, and nobody was ever there. Just a bunch of weird things like that that happened in the house. And uh, when when Dan, you know, got you know, around puberty age, you know, 12, 13, 14, the thing just vanished. He didn't see it anymore uh, until he was he was old enough to drive. And he and some friends were they'd gone to a party at a friend's house, and he he was Dan was driving them home, and they saw somebody walking, uh, a girl walking, and they she was walking like she was drunk. Uh, and they, and one of the guys said, "Hey, I think I know who that is." And they got closer, and they noticed that it it looked like a man dressed as a woman with a really bad red wig. And when they got close, it turned around, and he saw the Harlequin's face, the same big eyes, the, uh, you know, the scared or um, surprised expression on the face. And he just felt that it was furious with him. And they just, they blanked out. And about ten minutes later, you know, they, all of a sudden everybody woke up, and they were a mile down the road. Uh, the guy sitting shotgun had wet his pants, <laughs> and Dan took everybody home. And as soon as they got out of the car, they shot to their door because this you know, just freaked the hell out of everybody. Jesus. Yeah, and, and he kept seeing this thing. You know, every once in a while, years would pass; he'd never see it. Once he remembered, uh, he and his dad had rented a cabin uh, to go fishing. And they were heading into town from just out in, in, in BFE. Um, and on the way, in, in the middle of nowhere on this gravel road, they saw this person dressed kind of like a woman, but they knew it was a man really wearing a really weird blonde wig and huge sunglasses. And it was after dark. They noticed this person pushing a baby carriage up the hill, and it was a gravel road. And the dad didn't want to talk about it, but of course Dan knew knew exactly what this was. 
That's and, strange. It's like it's like wayward clowns. Well, you see, I've always been freaked out by clowns. This this didn't help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, and and other other encounters were. I mean, even even you know a little weirder. He he and his wife moved moved away and then uh, for a year or two, and then they came back and they were moving in the same neighborhood in the same block where their parents lived, where where Dan grew up, and they knew the neighbors that they were. You know, they were moving in next to. They knew him really well. And when they moved in, the, the neighbors were like, you know, Dan, this is the strangest thing happened. This man dressed as a woman. We were, we were going to watch TV. We were cooking a pizza in the oven. And this person appeared in our kitchen. And it, it, she said that, you know, I've got a key for the house next door, but it doesn't fit. But it fit in your door. Can you help me? Well, and they told this person to leave because, of course, it scared the hell out of them. And they watched it leave and and walk away and and never saw never saw getting her get into a car or uh, or, or anything. She just kept walking. Um, Dan saw that same sort of thing a couple of different times. He was cleaning stuff up in the basement of the house where he uh, him and his wife had just moved into, and um, he heard somebody rattling the door. And it was like six o'clock in the morning, and he, you know, kind of ignored it. And finally, he went upstairs. And uh, saw a person walking away from the door, and it was this this Harlequin, you know, walking away. So I mean, he knows this thing's been keeping tabs on him for years. And what really, really scared him—the first series of times I talked with him—what really scared him was that he had a five-year-old kid yeah. who was telling him about the person who came in his room in the middle of the night and danced for him. Oh God! So like, starts all over again. Yeah, it's. I mean, and I interviewed people who, uh, um, you know, experts in in uh, the Hopi Hopi religion, because uh, this entity resembles Masao, one of their, uh, uh, you know, per, a person, a god in their their mythology. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I, I talked with somebody who's familiar with Norse mythology, and this resembles uh, Loki, and um, you know, other various types of of, of entities, and all these things are. Uh, you know, kind of generational. If something's screwing with somebody, it's going to screw with their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids. You know, it, which is I'm speculating that's why Dad didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, because maybe it had been messing with him when he was a kid, and now he's exactly. like, oh god, that's just so weird. Because you can't even. These are the kind of things, almost like the priest thing. You can't even really put these into a box. Like, you know. It's it's some kind of it sounds to me like some kind of elemental being of some kind, like an elf like creature of, of some sort. Was it short? Was it like a little diminutive? Well, no, it, I mean, it, it, it wasn't tiny. Thought, I mean, yeah. it was it was you know an, an average size, maybe yeah. maybe a five six. I'm guessing something like that. It was just I mean just average. wasn't really tall. wasn't really really short. Seems like also that it that it like a. You know, I wouldn't say embraces, but there's like an absurdity level to it, too. Like I said, it sounded like it was wayward clowns, like pushing a baby carriage on a gravel road. It's like the kind of foolish crap you expect from clowns to be to be doing. Well, well yeah, or foolish, foolish crap, or, or maybe, uh, you know, you, you mentioned elemental. Maybe something, some, um, you know, different type of entity that's trying to fit in, trying not to be noticed, you know, trying to, to mimic different things that it's seeing to, to try and fit in. But, you know, it, since it doesn't know how humans think, how humans really act, you know, it, it's getting a lot of things wrong. Right, like a reverse yeah. man in black. Right. 
Right. Well, and and this thing is 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 not just with Dan Mitchell. I uh, since Dan Mitchell's story came out, I I spoke with um gosh, I can't remember his name. Uh he was he's he's a councilman in uh, in England. Um he he described this as seeing the same sort of entity and I I contacted him and he's convinced that uh, uh it was an extraterrestrial. I I talked with uh, a woman in Nebraska, who saw an entity just like this, uh, and uh, a couple of uh, women who were in Lawrence, Kansas, a few years ago, and encountered something exactly like this in the middle of the day that disappeared on a, an empty street uh, when they turned their back and then turned back to, to look at it. I mean, and the thing was just gone. Uh, you know, so some things like that, and I, I also talked with a, with a woman in uh, um, close to St. Louis, Missouri. Who, when she was in in high school, worked at a at a cigarette shop, liquor store, and a woman came in. Uh, she had a very pointed chin, a very pale skin. Um, she remembers her hands, especially, were uh, amazingly the fingers were amazingly long and and thin. She was wearing a big wig and huge sunglasses. She really didn't have much of a nose. And this woman came in, asked for a pack of cigarettes. Took them and, and left, and and this woman, uh, who who was a, you know, a high school girl when she saw this, is convinced that that she absolutely was not human. But it sounds a lot like this this Harlequin character. Yeah, yeah. The the alien idea definitely has some sort of credence. I've heard weird stories like that where the you know, I, I think there's a guy uh, talks about the tall whites, tall white aliens or something like that, and how they. Go into Vegas and shit like that because they 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 don't stand out when they 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 look semi-human and uh, hey who the hell doesn't want to see a giant white tiger disappear exactly you know if I'm coming from Andromeda or where the hell ever I want to see that <laughs> yeah because at first yeah at first you're like wow those those tigers they have down there are awesome and it's like yeah. this someone who can make them disappear this planet's amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, you you had mentioned you said this kind of sounded like uh, you know elves and 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 you know things of that nature. I I talked to Brad Steiger about this. Um, he actually doesn't live that far from me. He lives up in Iowa. Oh wow. Yeah, and uh, anyway, I, I got a hold of him, and he was like, "Yeah, that's the 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 Earl King, the Elf King. You know, <laughs> these beings have been doing this for you know centuries upon centuries upon centuries, and they're they're still at it." So weird, so so weird, and 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 this thing's usually like androgynous, I guess you could say maybe, because it sounds like people seem to think it's a man in drag, but then other times it's it's uh, it's a woman, maybe. Who knows? We don't, you know. Right? It, yeah, it's somebody you can't you can't pin you can't pin if it's a man or a woman, um, or an emo kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I try hard. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and the uh, this, this kind of uh, came to a culmination for for Mitchell, um, because he got a feeling one morning that this thing wanted to talk with him. Yeah. And it told him where he wanted to, wanted him to go. So he went. He went to a park to see this thing, and he said he was terrified. Uh, he. Taped, he duct taped his, uh, driver's license to the inside of his thigh. You know, in case somebody found him dead in the park. <laughs> his driver's license would be, I, I didn't ask him what, what happened when he ripped the duct tape off. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
Sounds like, sounds like a Craigslist encounter. <laughs> right, except where he lived. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he he went to this park and and he he said he sat in this uh, on this bench for about ten minutes, uh, and you know was about ready to get up and leave, and then he felt that there was somebody behind him, and he was at first terrified to turn around, because um, he knew knew what was there, and eventually he did turn and, and peek over his shoulder, and he he saw this thing, um, and and it communicated to him, and it it, it told him that. Um, you know, it's older than he would ever know. Uh, he said that from the, the feeling he got that this thing had once been human but kind of transcended its, its humanity. Uh, you know, I'm really not sure how or where to place all this. Yeah. I mean, because this, you know, sounds like an episode of the old Star Trek where, you know, people are thought beings now. <laughs> they used to be people, but, you know, they, they transcended this. Um, I don't know, maybe this shit was talking to Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, weird. Very weird stuff, yeah. See, like, I had never even really heard these tales till you started talking about them recently, so kudos to you for bringing them out there, you know? Well, yeah, I I love a good ghost story, a good UFO story, a good Bigfoot story, but, you know, <laughs> these bizarre stories that people never hear are are absolutely my favorite. That's why I'm calling them off its oddities. <laughs> Now, all right, so that's the Harlequin. Tremendous stuff. Tons on, on, tons of stuff on your blog about, about these stories. Pro people want more of those. Now, as I noted, the Darkness Walks was, uh, one of your big breakout books that everybody's still talking about. Everybody still loves that book. It's from Anomalous Books. Um, how about just an update on the Shadow People research? Anything new going on there as far as, you know, stories you've heard about the Shadow People? Are they doing anything different or new or, or weird, you know, shadow kids or anything strange like that going on. Well, not not a lot of new stuff. I mean, I've, I still talk to people about uh, about shadow people encounters. People are, you know, still having a, a lot of shadow people encounters. The um, I mean, the only you mentioned kid, the only shadow kid story I've, I've ever had, I got recently, uh, and this woman was really defending her shadow person because she's got a uh, said she has a shadow kid who. Uh, Stays in her house and plays with the cats. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's, she's like taking him in as her own little paranormal adoptee, if you will. You know, which isn't bad. If it, if it keeps the cat occupied and you don't have to feed him. Exactly, yeah. That, that, that's, that's good. No, I mean, shadow people I've been fascinated with, uh, since I was about eight or nine years old because I saw these things walking through my, my room at night and, they just absolutely scared the hell out of me for, for good reason. And when I wrote my first shadow person story and put it on my blog, uh, it was and still is the first, uh, first story that, that got, I mean, it got me the most response of any story because I, I didn't realize there were so many people out there who had encountered these entities. Yeah, it seems pretty, pretty pervasive. And the more people talk about it, the more you hear about it and stuff, you know. It's like the Hat Man thing. I've, I've heard so much about the Hat Man in the last few years. It's amazing. Right. I, I just got finished uh, uh, working on an article. You mentioned uh, Mysterious Universe. I just got finished working on one, and and, uh, and one of those stories is, a, is about the Hat Man. Uh, uh, these guys, um, uh, they were brothers, and they were, when they were teenagers, they lived in the basement, which is always a fantastic place to sleep. <laughs> 
and uh, in this room where they slept, there was uh, a hat man that they called the cowboy because he, they said he looked like the Marlboro Man. You know those? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, or maybe that's just for the Midwest. But uh, you know, auto shops will cut out. Uh, yeah, I've seen those things. Yeah, like like silhouettes, right? Yeah, silhouettes of a of a cowboy. I mean, that's and it looked like that, except for it paced back and forth in front of their their dresser, and it had blazing red eyes, and it would just pace and stare at them all night. And and and, and the Hat Man has this a lot more than any other type of shadow people encounter um it feels to the people encountering them that it is just it's feeding off of the terror that it that that it's you know forming in them just by its mere presence weird yeah i'm glad mine didn't do that when i saw it because uh you know i i I peed the bed long enough (laughs) that would have kept me going for a while yeah yeah that would have been been a setback Mm mm-hmm now, yeah, has anyone... Nathan, why are you still peeing the bed? Demons <laughs> in my room, Mom! <laughs> now, I, I, I'm sure this was covered in the book, uh, but my mind fails me because of far too much partying in college. So, was there, have there been instances where people have communicated with these things in some sort of, you know, verbal way? Uh, oh, uh, very, very rarely. Uh, there have been people who, who talk to the shadow people, who tell them things, who yell at them, who pray at them, uh, who laugh and sing at them, you know, to try and, and drive these things away that get a reaction from shadow entities. Uh, it's been very rare that a shadow entity will actually talk with a person. Uh, if they do, maybe it's a name. You know, a shadow person speaking my name yeah. would, uh, yeah, probably seize my heart up. Yeah, that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty freaky. Yeah, there was one uh, one guy I talked with. His name uh, is Mick. Uh, I can't recall his last name. He lives lives in Toronto. Who encountered a shadow person dressed in a monk's cowl when he was about eighteen years old, and the thing pinned him down and told him it was going to kill him. Oh God. And it didn't. It, it took him yeah. on some, you know, wild spiritual ride um, that I also, uh, I've got detailed on my blog somewhere, um, that the, the guy felt, like I was saying, shadow people, you know, will, you know, tend to drain, uh, if they're a negative kind, tend to, tend to drain your, your energy. And this guy felt himself being, you know, his life being sucked from him by this thing until, until eventually he snapped, snapped out of his grasp. But it told him. I mean, what could be scarier than that? Something blacker than night. <laughs> just a silhouette dressed uh, as the Grim Reaper telling you it's going to kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think I would just give up at that point. I'd be like, all right, dude, just make it quick, please. Yikes. These shadow people. There's some spooky, uh, spooky creatures. Well, on, on the note of spooky creatures here, and you talked about how you kind of Seems like maybe you've walked away from the black-eyed kids. What's uh, what's the latest on on those uh, those little buggers? Well, I, I keep getting keep getting reports on them. Uh, for for the, I mean, for for listeners who aren't really uh, really up on the whole black-eyed kids entity, they're uh, um, generally between six and seven years old, and uh, anywhere from that age to uh, early twenties. Most uh, they're usually you know teens. 13, 14, 15, 16, but, but they can be younger or a little bit older. And they, they tend to approach people in, uh, you know, some personal space. Either they'll knock on the door of your house, they will, uh, tap on the window of your car as you're sitting, sitting there in, in a parking lot, or they will 
approach you, you know, on the street and ask you to come someplace. Um, you know, when, when they, when they, you know, go to a car, they might ask you to, you know, will you drive me to my house? Uh, I, I really need to get some money. Uh, will you drive me here? Will you, will you just let me in? Take me someplace. Ugh. You know, when, when there's a house, they'll knock, knock on the window and say, or knock on the door and say, uh, I've got to use your phone. I've got to call your mom. Uh, sometimes it gets to the point to where the kids are saying, somebody's chasing me. You've got to help me. You've got to let me in your house. Oof. Okay, so they're very demanding. They're very well well spoken. Uh, everybody who encounters them say that they speak like an adult. Even even the six or seven year old uh, black eyed kids speak speak like they're an adult. And and the people always feel, you know, sort of, you know, in some sort of hypnosis, like they feel like, yeah, I want to help this kid. And but for some other reason they're scared. And then they, you know, notice some things about the kids. They're usually. Um, Either you know dressed in hoodies if they're in their, their teens, or or they're dressed like twenty years out of date, and they're usually dirty, have bad breath, greasy hair, um, and all they they're taking all that stuff in. And then they notice the eyes, and the eyes are completely black. There's no whites, no irises. It's just black. Uh, you know, like you know, looking into voids, uh, looking at a rat. Um, <laughs> Or, uh, you know, anybody out there who's got kids and you've ever had those little people dolls, those things freak me out because they're all black-eyed kids. <laughs> anyway, um, and that usually, when somebody notices the eyes, I mean, that's it. End in, of story, uh, boom, slam the door, get the hell off my property, I never want to see you again. <laughs> But but they're I mean they're they're all that you know similar similar type similar type of encounter. Now I also noticed in the blog there are some tales of black-eyed people. Are these essentially kind of the same thing, or are these more? It seemed like these were kind of weird encounters just with strange people at random in various places, almost like that priest story, but with, but with a black-eyed person. Well, right, yeah. These are like I said, most of the stories of black-eyed, uh, you know, the black-eyed entities are, are kids. Um, I mean, the kids can even, I, I even talked with a guy who, um, had a, had a nephew that he was sure was, you know, it was, was some demonic little entity because, <laughs> you know, it would, you know, even, even as, you know, really smart as a toddler would try and, like, turn bookshelves over on babies. Oh, God. And, you know, trip people downstairs and, and, you know, crap like that. And, and, and he said that one time, it, the, the baby's mom picked him up uh, after you know it tried to do something like this, and 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 the baby was looking at at this man over um, over over his mom's shoulder, and he grinned, and then the eyes just went from blue to completely black. Ew. So I mean, it's not. I mean, it can go from from even that young, but but what you're talking about is a little bit older. Yeah, a good example is a case out of Australia. Uh, I talked to the nurse uh, from Brisbane. Uh, who a new woman from from Sydney had just moved to town and was uh, working at the hospital where where she worked, and uh, something just felt wrong about this woman. And uh, but one one day they were on shift together, and she had had to find this woman. She couldn't find her. She went uh, to the nurses' station. And they're like, "Well, I think she's down past the cafeteria." So uh, she kept asking people she saw on the way. You know, where Julia, I don't remember what her name was, I'm just gonna call her Julia, where, where Julia was, and they pointed back, finally, to a back, uh, to a bathroom that's way back in the back of the hospital. Uh, and then this woman walks back to this bathroom, and she sees this other nurse who creeps her out, 
standing in the middle of the bathroom. And she says, Julia, and, and the woman turns around and looks at her, and, and the eyes are just, you know, like ink has poured over the, you know, poured over the banks. You know, oh, God. Yeah, you know, it's just black, and this woman's staring at her. And the woman starts to smile, and, and, and the nurse I was talking to just, just got, got the heck out of there and uh, took the next week off. And Weird. By, by the... Uh, you know, by the time she came back to work, the uh, you know the Julia, the uh, the new new creepy nurse had left. But uh, yeah, they, that black eyed people are not you know these encounters aren't just for for kids. They're, yeah, it could be about anybody. Makes you almost wonder, like this Julia character. Maybe she's like we've talked about how you know you have no stories where someone actually left the black eyed kids in. Maybe that's kind of like the end result. You end up you know they end up becoming a part of you somehow or something like that. Right, or I've had people speculate to me that maybe all of these, um, all of these cases where you know people who are normally healthy and die die of in quotes natural causes in their house, you know, maybe they let a black-eyed person in. Yeah, yeah, and the, I was so into black-eyed kids a couple of years ago. I was planning on writing a book about it. I, I remember when Mac Tony's died because I'd. I'd uh, Known Mac for a couple of years, I'd interviewed him a number of times, had coffee with him, and that's the first thing that crossed my head. <laughs> Maybe he let a black-eyed kid in. Weird, yeah. And at that point, I was like, you know, yeah, I need to back off. Yeah, because they could be coming to your door next. Yeah, that's one of the things my wife said. She goes, yeah, you can write about any of this stuff, but if one of those comes to my door, it's your ass. <laughs> well, it's, have there been, I, I think we might have talked about this, but I'm not sure. Has anyone ever gotten a picture of one of these things? Or are they, it's, you can't really tell nowadays anyway with the Internet and Photoshop. And, no, and people ask, uh, you know, a lot of things that I write about. I have people that will put, post comments on my blog. They'll e- email me, you know, ask, them, I'm not going to believe this unless I can see a picture. And I always respond with, I'm not going to believe it if I see a picture. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, because I, I, I teach photojournalism at, at my university. Um, I know what you can do with Photoshop. Uh, I Some of our film students, what they can do with computer programs nowadays are just, it's just amazing. So I don't trust any still or video photography. I mean, it's kind of sad, but I just, I, I can't. No, nah, it's weird. It's like, it's the, I was talking about this with somebody in a previous uh, interview here for season seven. It's like this weird sort of modern paradoxical problem of the paranormal where it's like what once was such a great piece of evidence for us being the photograph now has been rendered impotent essentially exactly I think um, just recently Nick Pope said that he saw um, uh, some photograph um, that was you know it was proof he knew that was that was an extraterrestrial uh, craft and then uh, uh, the British Ministry of Defense destroyed it well, and this was, you know, a couple of decades ago. Well, yeah, sure, at that point, you know, that that's believable. But, yeah, yeah, today, I mean, any credibility whatsoever is destroyed. Yeah. Just like any 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 just any Bigfoot picture you see, just discount it. Exactly, yeah. Somehow even the Bigfoot pictures still remain terrible. It's like no well, one can, can really The thing is, even the ones that are really great, you can't. I mean, they're they're like the, like the one recently that there was a hunter's camera. It took a picture. A trail cam took a picture of the back of a Bigfoot. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that looked freaking amazing. It did no look way in cool. hell that's true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
It was both awesome and highly, highly suspect. Highly. <laughs> I've heard so much about the Black Eyed Kids since the last time we talked. It seems like it really is, it really resonates with a lot of people. A lot, like even after our last interview, I got a lot of feedback and continuously mentioning the Black Eyed Kids. Freaks people out. Well, and, and there's a great reason that it freaks people out. I mean, as an adult, don't you feel, uh, I think every adult probably feels this way. I and mean, if they see a kid, if they see a kid that's in some kind of trouble, they need some kind of help, I mean, you feel immediate empathy. You want to help that kid. And then all of a sudden, you know, you you look and you find out that this kid that you were just about ready to help just about ready to let into your house, give it a cookie and a glass of milk while you called the police to come and, you know, and rescue it. You just realized it's an effed up little monster. Yeah, yeah. You know, instead of this, you know, sweet little street urchin who was in, in trouble. I mean, because it, it, it's little kids take people's guards down. And and then, you know, when, when they realize that, you know, they're, in, you know, this is unknown, this is dangerous. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, very, very appealing to people. I mean, it's like you know, watching The Exorcist uh, live in your own house. <laughs> if we could only sell tickets. <laughs> I wonder if there's been a, a Exorcist Exorcist musical done, and that would be nice. That would be nice, yeah. With a with a you know pea soup splatter zone. I gotta start this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this up. Yeah. If yeah. this comes up, any listeners, that's my idea. Yeah, we don't want yeah. Yeah, we're gonna end up hearing like in a couple months, like some off-Broadway production of The Exorcist. We're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Let's find that guy. He heard it from our show. Uh, all right, now uh, speaking of sort of like evil, diminutive beings, uh, another story that you mentioned uh, when we were setting up the interview that that you thought was particularly chilling, and I, I read it and was tremendously tweaked out. And that's the evil little man saga, which you detailed uh, at the blog over the course of several blog posts. So. Talk about this sort of like gnome-like creature that was uh, terrorizing this farm. Yeah, this oh man, this this story. Well, and this this is a, well, this is it goes to a story that I don't ever tell people because I was massively sleep deprived when this happened. Uh, when I when I was um, seventeen years old, uh, I actually worked at uh, Royal Stadium as as a food vendor, and I was driving home one night. It was really late, and and. I was staying staying at my grandma's that night for some reason, and when I parked parked my truck, and I got out, I looked across the street, and the neighbor across the street had garden gnomes sitting underneath a bush, and they kind of caught my eye because they were moving, the arms and legs were moving, and I'm like, yeah, I need to go to bed. But and I know that's sleep deprivation, but those type of garden gnomes with the little pointed hats. Little red pointed hats and a little, you know, a little green, green or gold, gold jacket, um, are, you know, based on things from, from Europe. The, um, uh, Tom Tar, I think is their name, uh, is, is a gnome entity, uh, from Sweden. I interviewed a guy whose, uh, grandma was from Sweden and would tell, regale him with stories about the bad things these little, little Tom Tars did around the house. Uh, you know, if you didn't lay out, you know, food for them. But it, anyway, this, uh, the story is based in California, um, by the, uh, Tool River. It's T-U-L-E, I believe. Um, 
this woman and her kids moved into this into this farmhouse, and there were a number of houses on the property and and a shed that was really close to the house, and and a river went through the property, and they you know would like to go down to the to the river, and the dogs would splash around, and the kids would throw sticks in, and whenever they walked back to the house, walking by this shed really creeped them out, and and the dogs would always bark at the shed. Well, they would notice later that. Things that they had brought, animals they brought, to some ducks, chickens, and cats, would, you know, they all disappeared. Had no idea what happened to them. And then one, one night, uh, it was an early evening, uh, the mom came home, uh, her and her son, who was about seven at the time, uh, got out of, got out of the car, and, and the mom was about ready to grab her bag of groceries, and she heard a cackle. Yeah. And she looks over, and by this shed is one of these garden gnome-looking guys, between two and three feet tall, pointed red hat, gold shirt, uh, brown pants, uh, pointed needle-like teeth, uh, in a mouth that she said covered the entire, you know, across the entire face, and it was staring at her, laughing. And she just screw the grocery. She grabbed her kid, ran in the house. Yeah. And this thing, you know, let out a, a bellow, and and she knew it was following her, but she didn't turn around to look. But she got into the house, slammed the door. Her daughters were in there, you know, like what's going on? And she said, "Just get down." Well, the the, the first story of the house was, you know, up a porch, so it was. I mean, the, the windows in the kitchen were like ten feet off the ground, and she said she could see this red pointed hat sticking up in the window. <laughs> Which absolutely terrified her. Um, and she, I mean, you hear it just chattering outside. She had no idea what it was saying. Eventually it went away. She went outside, got the groceries in, and they moved out of the house very, very soon afterward. Uh, which, I mean, this story is, is scary enough. But I got a story a couple of years later from a woman who described a similar house. Right outside the same town, right beside the same river, uh, there was a shed next to the house that really creeped her and her husband out. Her and her husband had had uh, two-year-old twins and uh, a golden retriever. Uh, they dug up a, a pond and they had uh, it was they dug, dug a koi pond and they put little garden gnomes, little concrete garden gnomes around it, and little toadstools and and they hated walking by that that shed. And, uh, the, the dog barked like the other one did. And they started noticing that their, their koi, the fish, were, were disappearing. You know, they figured that, you know, raccoons or things were eating it. And, and they noticed that the, uh, the, the garden gnomes and, and toadstools would, you know, be moved around. And one night, when they were, they put the kids to bed and they were in the living room, the dog was sleeping on the floor and they heard, a cackle from outside. They looked out, and they had uh, they'd installed a light, an outside light, over the koi pond. And they looked, and there was this exact gnome creature standing by the pond. And when it saw them looking at them, it reached in the pond, grabbed a fish, and bit its head off. Ooh, like as a message? No, I, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was a message. They, <laughs> they, called, they called the sheriff's department, and all they said was, "You know, we have an intruder." And a sheriff, the sheriff came out and looked around. And they're like, you know, there's nothing here. I mean, there's some kids' footprints around the pond, but that's it. And they were, they knew that that was, you know, from from the gnome, that the gnome creature, that that was its footprints. Well, 
later, and this this was probably one of the one of the creepier parts of the encounters that they had with it, was that um, one day they heard a cat screaming from inside the shed, and they'd never gone in the shed because it creeped them out so much. Well, they were also they were both uh, Iraq War veterans. They were both in the military, and the husband was like, you know, screw this. I, if there's a cat being hurt, I, I've got to get it. So he opened up the door and with a flashlight looked in the shed, and there was a cat that had been half skinned, Ew. laying in the shed, and it was still alive. And the guy was just freaked out, and he went to get something to put the cat in. He was gone. He said for maybe a minute and a half. And when he looked back in the shed, the whole thing was gone. Oh, and he, he, it couldn't have gone anywhere by itself. Jesus. See, these stories that make me think that there are these sort of creatures, uh, you know, living amongst us in a way. Well, I mean, I, and I've gotten similar stories, uh, not just from, from, from that place. I mean, uh, I, I got the first two, I got the two families hooked up. And they went because they weren't sure that they lived in the same house. They, I got the two wives hooked up, and they went out there and looked. And sure as hell, they lived in the same house. So they were talking about the same creature. But but I've gotten similar stories out of uh, Liberty, Liberty, Missouri, out of Albany, New York. Um, but and, and think about all the well, and, and one out of upstate New York. Uh, a couple of years ago, I talked with a guy who, when he was a kid, he was staying with his grandma, uh, and during a storm one night. He heard a scream outside the window, and he was sleeping with his grandma because he was afraid of the lightning. And he's like, "Grandma, what's that?" And she's like, "Don't worry about it. Just forget, forget you heard it." And he went to sleep, and he got up the next morning, couldn't find grandma. Went out, and she was on the front porch, and with a mop, and she was cleaning up. And he remembers seeing these tiny human footprints on the porch that she was she was mopping up. And, you know, I, I, I looked into this and, uh, there are Native American, uh, you know, legends from that area of, of tiny people who, who, uh, you know, cause storms and scream during, during, you know, storms of that nature. Uh, you know, and there are stories, I mean, stories of trolls, gnomes, goblins, elves, all over Europe, things in Russia, things in Africa. I mean, these stories of diminutive entities are, are everywhere. I like how they haven't really changed, you know, with the with how they're still sort of wearing the outfits that were. When they yeah, were, pointed hat, really red pointed hat. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't you like having Yankees cap you can wear backwards? <laughs> it's like, dude, go down the baby gap. Just come yeah. on. <laughs> we want to accept you into our society, but you need to stop dressing that way. Right, and get a social security number. Start paying your damn taxes. <laughs> but yeah, it does uh, these? It, it, it's interesting too, because like, well, you know, it's funny because what we do, we're in this sort of weird field and stuff. And I'm sure if I told somebody like where I work, that you know, well, last night I was doing an interview for my show, and we were talking about you know, real life dwarves and gnomes and stuff, and you know, they they they, they would never believe you that these things, you know, that these stories are out there. But they are. That's the amazing part. Well, and it's, yeah, the, the more I, I talk to people, the more research that I've, I've done on different paranormal things, you know, I, 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 I felt the same way. I mean, it's like thinking back um, when, when I first started this, you know, gnomes, really, are you freaking kidding me? Gnomes. 
Yeah. I can kind of picture Bigfoot. You know, I can see that as an unclassified, you know, North American ape, maybe, maybe so, but a, a gnome? And, and, you know, after talking to people and getting these stories, you know, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Gnome. It's like, yeah, dude, they're out there, and they're not just, like, from the 1700s in Ireland or whatever. These aren't just the European stories, you know. Nope. They're out there, they're in your neighborhood, and they're pissed. (laughs) That would be, see, that, maybe we need to make that into the musical, because that's a great tagline. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That would really freak people out. This, now, this next story really, uh, Intrigued me, I guess is the best way to put it, is uh, the tale of the Fay Girl, which I thought was just so bizarre. Like, again, it's it's like it goes back to this thing about the gnomes. It's like if you had told me that there was somebody out there who claims that, that he was involved with, with, uh, with, you know, a descendant of the fairy folk, I'd be like, to get the hell out of here. But then you read the story, and it's like, I want to know more about this. <laughs> so tell me more about the, the tale of the Fay Girl. Right, yes. Getting into this, I'm like, I want to know more, but then again, I want to know less. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, yeah, this man um, was uh, chatting with with a, with a woman on on a dating site, and uh, and and they hooked up. I mean, they they chatted, they chatted, they chatted, and she started to tell him that you know these stories about that she was like one quarter fairy. It's like, okay, that's cool. You're still hot. So they decided to meet, and it was like the round trip from where he was. I mean, she, it was like eighteen. Well, it was like eighteen hundred miles, something like that. it was like nine hundred miles one way. And he and he drove uh, to southern Missouri, is where this this woman is. He said there's like the, a fay community down there, and he, and he went down to meet her. And 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 um, yeah, this. I mean, she claimed to be descended from fairy folk, from from elves, um, or or whatnot, and. Um, Anyway, they, she, he meets her for the very first time and he's, he's just struck by her just unnatural beauty and they spend the next, you know, two days in a motel room just, just doing it. And he just said it was extremely bizarre because he never felt tired. And they, he said that's all they did and after they were over. It was like, okay, we'll see you later. And they, they still continue to chat and, while he was was back home, uh, I mean, chatting with her, she seemed to know things that she shouldn't know, like where he'd left something in her, in his house. Um, he had a friend who, uh, you know, had, had had cancer, and I guess he'd mentioned it to her, and um, you know, not a week later, he was talking with her, and he's like, "Hey, yeah, she's gone into remission," and she's like, "Okay, yeah, you're welcome." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, other weird, weird things that, that happened to him that she acted like she was in control of, and, and he was pretty sure she was because she couldn't have really known about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said that these, these fae tend to, uh, you know, live around each other, and they, uh, you know, they take jobs at odd times of night. Uh, this, this girl, uh, delivered newspapers, which you do that at three, four o'clock in the morning. Why is that? Uh, you know, not dealing with regular humans. Okay. Interesting. Now, what about this Fay community? Have you been down there to 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 check it out? Do you know anything about about that at all? Oh, I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Why are you frightened of the Fays? They sound they, they sound, sound adorable. Nice. Uh, well, 
because you were you were mentioning uh, elementals, right. and, and and the Fey have you know things in common with 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 the elementals is that they don't really, um, uh, at least I mean according to people who claim to be in air quotes here in the know, um, God I hate giving air quotes on on an interview. <laughs> Any, anyway, uh, but they just they they don't feel you know human emotion like we do. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're intrigued by it. They're, they're curious about it. They want to experience it, but they, they just don't. And, and that's what this guy encountered. The free, he drove, uh, you know, that, the 900 miles one way, like four times in four months, just, just to, to hang out with this girl and, you know, spend two entire days having sex. Um, they said the last time he went down there, it was just all of a sudden, I mean, there's just a switch that flipped. She, she wanted nothing to do with him. Nothing at all. They uh, went out on on her paper route. She wouldn't let her wouldn't let him touch her. Um, they ran out of gas when they were on the on the route, and then the car died. And he's like, "Well, do you want me to watch for gas?" She goes, "Or to walk for gas? Um, you know, I'll just grab a gas can and go." And she's like, "You know, it's not necessary." She started the car, and they drove like five miles to the next gas station. And uh, and he and he said that. Um, you know, good things happened when he was with her, but she told him that bad things would happen without her protection. So, yeah, I don't want any of that stuff. Weird. Very strange. I'd like to contact this girl for some of this weekend-long sex. Well, yeah, and she sounds hot, too. So yeah. Just a double bonus. Yeah. It's one of those rare, like, love on the Internet stories that, well, I guess, you know, it didn't turn out totally well. You know, they kind of break up, I guess, but, you know, still. She didn't turn out to be a man. a bad thing. So, it's always, yeah, exactly. Very weird. And I, I remember the story from the blog said that she said that, like, her grandfather had sex with a fairy or something like that, and that's how she... She had the fey blood, if you will, or something along those lines, right? Yeah, it's like my, my grandfather was Gandalf or some shit. Yeah, something like that. So weird. I don't mean to make light of that. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm still all about the fey. So. <laughs> no, I just didn't want to piss any fey off. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I endorse the fey. I'd like to meet one. So if there's any fey out there, contact me. So he, so she, she just kind of... Just ended it with this guy. Was he okay afterwards, or did bad things happen to him? Uh, well, and he, uh, and I didn't write about this. Uh, I don't think I did. Uh, just because of the nature of it, uh, he had on the way home uh, from this last encounter that that she had, uh, you know, where she had basically broken things off. Um, he was driving home, and all of a sudden, bad stuff kind of started happening to him. Um, you know, bad stuff at work, uh, you know, he did, he didn't feel well, uh, he, he came down with this horrible, you know, he came down with a sickness, um, and he, he kept trying to talk to this fake girl on, online, and eventually, um, she responded back to him, and she's like, something, you were vulnerable, I had let you go, something dark saw you on the road and hitched a ride with you, and now it's, it's messing with you. I will, you know, I'll get rid of this for you. But oh, after God. this, don't contact me again. Jesus. And he was he was okay after that. Weird. How 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 long ago was all this? Well, he, they met online, so it couldn't have been that that long ago. Oh, it was like five years, maybe. I'm just I'm estimating here, but I don't think it was any farther than that. 
Jesus. So weird. So weird. So weird or normal. I mean, go back 400 years or go back, go to today's Iceland where they, you know, plan uh, construction over, you know, around uh, ferry sites. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not so weird there. I know. Wow. Hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Yeah. And I grew up thinking they just fix shoes. <laughs> so, you know, maybe if you're like out on the... See, all the people I encounter on the graveyard shift, they're people that, you know, they seem like they belong on the graveyard shift. So They're people with something called a record. <laughs> I used to be a graveyard shift janitor, and they used to call it... They used to call the shift Siberia. That's what they'd send all the. That's what they'd send all the janitors that couldn't, for a variety of sorted reasons, could not work in the daytime. So, it was like they would ship you because because like you can't fuck with the union, of course. So, they would ship you off to Siberia, which is the overnight shift. So. Right. Can you work in the day? No. Wait a second. Your skin burst into flames. So yeah. Yeah, like one guy had like a tattoo of like a naked woman on his forearm, and they're like, you know, around the children, that's not, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, at uh, at, at Pierce Elementary School, <laughs> I think maybe we should keep the naked woman uh, covered up. Yeah, yeah. Send, put him on the Siberia shift. All right, so that's the that's the tale of the Fay girl. Now, this next story actually has a banal connection. I don't know if you uh, know this or not, but it's the. Uh, it's the time traveling tourist story. I did not know this had a banal connection. At the end, in the update part, you say that. The, the, well, I'll, I'll I'll just tell the banal connection part, and then you can. I'm the one that posted it on the Coast to Coast website. Oh, okay, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it because I was reading the article and I was like, I actually went back to check and I was like, yeah, I did. I'm the one that put that up there. That's so weird. That and then you know that that turns into a whole other twist to the story. But I guess tell this. Uh, I'm fascinated. I know you are too. I'm fascinated by time travel and time travelers and the the potential behind all that. And, oh, I, I always have been. But tell me the truth first. You were reading reading the post and you're like, fucking off. It didn't mention me. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, because I wasn't even sure if I did that or not. I had to go back and check because I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want to take credit for something I didn't do. So, but no, I mean, it was it's it, it's it's fascinating and it, it. Well, how first of all, before we get into the time travel story, is this did this come from the time traveler reporting center? No, and you know this. Um, maybe I haven't advertised it as much as I should have because uh, I've been fascinated since I was a little kid. Um, I think everything goes back to Star Trek, but that's irrelevant right now. Um, even though it is William Shatner's birthday today, so it's not irrelevant. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I've been fascinated by this, uh, you know, by this topic forever. Um, time Travel Reporting Center uh, is because I've gotten a lot of, you know, really great time travel stories over the years. Uh, I mean, I've got a couple from people who, uh, they're... You know, basically the same story, but they're still really cool. You know, of, of guys, they stop someplace. Uh, one, one guy was in Texas, I remember. He was, he was getting gas and, uh, a man in a suit that, uh, you know, looked like a pretty normal business suit, but it was a little bit off. There's something different about it. Um, just walked out of the bathroom and started screaming, what year is it? Oh, Jesus. Almost and, like and, he went in and came out at the wrong time. Yeah, something like that. And, and, and when the guy was like, okay, it's, you know, 2007. 
He's like, what? <laughs> 2007? He's, no! <laughs> so, I mean, that makes pay at the pump really freaking cool when you can get away with somebody screaming no at you. He's pissed off that they're in the wrong year. But, oh, yeah, I, got, I mean, I got stuff like this. I, I, I also uh, talked with a guy who... I was working at uh, a really old, uh, really old winery in in Oregon, and he had to go in the basement to get something. And he went in the basement, and, and uh, yeah, it was really it's it's been redone. The, the building's really old, but it was redone, and it's a it's a hotel and um and, and a winery and all sorts of fancy events are there, weddings and and whatnot. And he went in the basement to get some wine, and, and the basement was empty. And there was water dripping from the ceiling, and and there was wood rot everywhere, and and um, you know it's, he just was freaking out because he went from room to room that he'd already been in before, where the wine was. He knew there was wine, and he knew there wasn't water dripping from places, and he knew the wood was was you know fresh, um, and it was just he was he was freaking out, and and he and he walked back up the stairs that were you know creaky stairs. Um, and walked back into the, up into the hotel and, and he was fine and he, and he, and he grabbed somebody and, and, um, he went back downstairs and, you know, downstairs as, as he had remembered it before. You know, the, the stairs were, were, you know, fairly, fairly new and, and there was no water and the wine was where it was supposed to be and, and everything. But, you know, he's sure that he, he stepped backward into time when this building had been abandoned for, for decades. But, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by those stories. I keep getting them, and I'm like, I want to have a place where people who have encountered their own personal time slip, or have encountered somebody like the, you know, the big man in the weird suit screaming, "What year is it?" And I want a place for them to, you know, tell tell their experiences to the world. And uh, yeah, nobody's done it. Got it. Yeah, people, you gotta you gotta send these in. I'm, I I love time travel stories. I find them so bizarre. Although now I'm tempted to go to like a consignment shop and get like an old timey sort of like seventies outfit and just just do just be that guy for a while, you know. You just, just go stew. Yeah, and just go into bathrooms and come out and be like, "What year is it?" You know. Or the BG still relevant? <laughs> that could be, you know, that might help meeting women too. You could be like, "I'm from the past." You technically you're not lying though. I mean, we're all really from the past in a sense. So. We're we're all technically time travelers. Yeah, just very slowly. Yeah. So what's the what's the story of the time traveling tourists? Well, uh, back in uh, 2006, uh, a man named uh, Ken uh, Ken Helbling uh, walked into Barnes and Noble. It was raining. He went in. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I got nothing else better to do. Sunday morning, uh, I'm not going to church." So I'm gonna go and get, get some coffee and uh, and look for a book. And he and he went in and he was waiting in line to get coffee and there was a, a tall man in front of him. He said he was older, about 65 years old, wearing a uh, red flannel shirt and blue jeans. And when it was his turn for coffee, the guy said, "Well, I don't have a discount card, but can I use my sister's?" Uh, and the the, the barista said, uh, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And this guy didn't have the card. He just rattled off, rattled off like 17 numbers in a row without reading it off anything. Oh, God. And that was, you know, the barista was feeding him into the computer. And, yeah, that was that was number was okay. And he got his discount. Uh, but as he was waiting behind this, this dude, he noticed that there was a, you know, two high school girls, um, a blonde and a brunette, that were standing close to him and staring at him. 
And he said they were wearing like Jordache jeans, and they had the big '80s hair. <laughs> so now, were they, did they? Did it seem like they were with him, or were they just sort of uh, intrigued by him? Uh, well, he thought that he, he just had the the feeling that uh, these two girls and and the older guy in the, in, the, in the red flannel shirt were together. Okay. Well, I, I think they eventually walked off together, so that that kind of just solidified that. But uh, and, and it said it, it it was it was really weird because they looked familiar to him. He said they were looked about seventeen, but they looked like a couple gear girls that he uh, you know he knew in high school, and he didn't want to stare at them because um, he didn't want to be a creeper. Uh, he also, you know, he thought about saying, hey, where did you get those retro, retro clothes? Because, you know, the jeans, he said, they look brand new, or their clothes look brand new, but they were from like the 1980s. And he just, he kind of just, just dismissed it. He went and got his coffee and went to browse books. And then he picked up a book and he started to look at it and, you know, the, you know, he looked over and, and the girls were still there, you know, had followed him and they were staring at him. So he put the, put the book up and left because he was kind of creeped out at this point. And so the next week he went and did the same thing. And the next Sunday, same time of day, he, you know, went back to Barnes and Noble. And when he walked in, into the coffee area, the same guy dressed in the same red flannel shirt and blue jeans, was standing there ordering a coffee, spouting the same, you know, insanely long number off the top of his head to get a discount on the coffee. And the two girls were there too, but they were, you know, they were wearing the same clothes and they had the same big hair. And they were standing there, you know, drinking coffee, staring at him. And when he walked, you know, went back to, to find the book he'd looked at the week before, um, you know, he wandered around, didn't see them, and he stood there looking at the book. And when he turned around, the two girls were sitting on the floor, looking at him, and when they saw him looking at, her, at at them, they put their books over their face, and like, oh, crap, you know, he's seen us, you know, <laughs> let's hide our eyes. And, you know, he just, he's like, wow, let's screw this. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buy my book and just go home. And when he got home, you know, he started reading the book, and at some point in the book, uh, he, some of the people in the book became tourists who were traveling in time to, to you know, tour different eras, and and he was like, "Damn, <laughs> yeah, I think this just happened to me." That's so weird because it's like it, it, you wonder they they weren't like, well, they couldn't have been people he knew in high school because they would have to have time traveled from when he was in high school, and that seems unlikely. So right, he said. I mean, they did. They, they right. look. He said the the one was blonde, one was brunette. He said the blonde one looked exactly like the girl that he knew in high school. Weird. The 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 brunette looked nearly the same, but she was a lot taller. And he he thought maybe initially when he first saw them that hey maybe this is Alicia and Amy's daughters, and, and you know now he's like you know maybe it's their granddaughters or their great granddaughters. Yeah, or yeah. Something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah, now let's get to the banal part of the story. <laughs> I play very, such a minimal role in that. I never should have mentioned that. <laughs> well, no, because it's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, he had uh, yeah, this. Uh, Helbing got a, got a, got a hold of me later. You know, much much later. This uh, the, the story was on the Coast to Coast website. A link was, and he called his his brother who lives in Connecticut to say, "Hey, I just had you know a story about me has been on the Coast to Coast website." And the guy's like, his brother's like, yeah, I know. You contacted me, you know, like a month ago telling me about it. And he said, uh, how did I contact you? 
brother said, well, you sent me an email. And, and this guy knows that he hadn't sent his brother an email in like a year. And he hadn't, hadn't called him for, for about a month. Um, but his brother told him everything that was in the story. And he's kind of freaking out. And his, his brother is, uh, you know, works in the computer industry and, and, you know, went, you know, went back and, and, and looked at everything he could. And he's like, yeah, you know, I didn't get an email from you. I have a link to the story before it was published in, in my, you know, browser history. But yeah, there's nothing that, that tells me that you sent it to me. So if you hadn't done that, Tim, I wouldn't have had that. I added another element to the story. Yeah, so you posted the story like, you know, two weeks before it, uh, before it actually was, uh, was on my blog. <laughs> Maybe I have some kind of time connection. It sounds more like this guy has some kind of weird time, like he's, like he gets unstuck in time somehow. But who knows? I don't know, if I'm getting stuck in time, it's not gonna be the 80s. <laughs> Only if you can like gamble like Biff. Like Biff Tannen or whatever his name is from the Back of the Future movies. Yeah, Biff Tannen, nice, nice pulling that out. Yeah. Pulling out the uh, Back to the Future 2 reference. <laughs> that never gets referenced. You know, if I just one day wake up and there's like a, like a giant offit, you know, sports complex that you've, you know, restaurant, casino that you've designed over there, I'll know you've become unstuck in time. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you can come have free beer. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's all good. Nice, nice. Yeah. So what do you, you know, what do you make of these time travel stories? I, you know, makes you wonder like that there, that there maybe there are these time travelers running around sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, cause I, one of the, one of the benefits of uh, teaching at a university is that, uh, I get to hang out with physicists. Uh, I get to go, you know, we can have dinner, sit at a bar, have a beer, you know, next to physicists and farmers at the next table. So I mean, it's just—I mean, we and we talk about time travel, and and you know, physicists. One of the reasons they become physicists is because, hey, time travel's awesome. And uh, I mean, so I mean, I, I've talked about you know the reality of time travel and the fact that yeah, theories are out there that it can actually happen. Uh, supposedly, we can't do it yet, but I mean, there's there's so many stories that I've I've encountered about. You know, things that are time travel related that, I, I mean, I think there's got to be something, Tim. Yeah. It's weird. It's, you know, it's, I've, I've heard quite a few stories. I remember, you remember the one about the stockbroker that was like, I think they arrested him and they said he was a time traveler or something like that. that is this, is this the guy who, uh, had a passport from a, from a country that didn't exist? No, I've never heard that one before. Weird. Oh, yeah, this, this is the guy who, um, um, God, when was he? he? He like flown into to, to Japan, and um, he was like, you know, really freaked out because he gave his passport that was everything was in order, and he'd been to Japan before because it was stamped in, but he was from a country that nobody ever heard of, and you know, he was you know questioned and detained for a while, and uh, they eventually you know let him go under surveillance, and he uh, you know disappeared from his hotel room. Weird. Yeah, this is something I read within in the last in the last year. So strange. Well, there's like two different types of time stories. It's like the time slip story, and then the time you know time travelers. It's like I don't know if I time travel fascinates me and frightens me in the sense of the fear of like getting stuck somehow. Do you know what I mean? Well, I don't know, like getting stuck somewhere, like stuck some some time. 
So it's like, yeah, I, I have no idea. Because people, when they think of time travel about how cool it would be, have absolutely no idea the reality of, of what it would be like to be in a different time. Right. If you go back in time past the uh, 1904 uh, Pure Food and Drug Act, might have been 1906, yeah, you wouldn't be able to eat because you'd be throwing up the whole time. I mean, you're going to be going back in, in, into times when their food was. I mean, your system is not designed anymore. We've been, we've been, you know, we're we are not tough. We're not tough individuals. We can't eat, you know, spoiled meat and still survive. I mean, right. without vomiting our guts up. Right, right. And it's like even now you look at how technologically pampered we are. Can you imagine like even just time traveling back to like the seventies or something? You know. Well, I could because I live there. <laughs> Farrah Fawcett was awesome. <laughs> so you actually long to travel back to the 70s. Oh, no, I'd rather go to the future. That would be good. That would, it would be interesting to see. We, like I said, though, I mean, you know, like the, the story about the guy coming out of the bathroom. It's like, did he ever go back to where he came from? Just, or, or is he the guy that's always hanging around in the in, in the gas station bathrooms? <laughs> There's always always one. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm trying to get back to 1950. You can tell. Sure. You can tell the time travelers in gas station bathrooms. They're not. They're the ones who are not dragging a key connected to a muffler <laughs> or a big block of wood. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Have I ever told you my, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a time slip, time travel, missing time. Have I ever told you my time story? No, I don't think I've heard your time story. Okay, I was uh, I was driving home from work uh, at uh, at the newspaper when I used to work in the industry. And on, on Saturday nights, I had the late shift. And I'd drive home, you know, like 1 o'clock in the morning. And I lived like 50 miles away from away from Kansas City, so... It was wow. a heck of a heck of a drive, but uh, I was I was driving home and and I got to this spot that said um, there was a road sign that said the name of my hometown five miles. Okay, and I was driving. I had had the cruise control set. Uh, it was fifty five miles an hour. I had the cruise control set, and um, as soon as I passed that sign, the radio started playing my favorite Rolling Stones song, "Gimme Shelter." All right, which is like four minutes twenty six seconds long. And I thought, great, I'll be able to listen to this all the way home. And I kind of got road hypnosis. And I woke up from my road hypnosis and I was, because the, the uh, um, cruise control was dragging. And I'm like, crap, this shouldn't be because I'm on a flat stretch of road. There's no way you know, for my cruise control to be dragging. And I looked and I was going up a hill. Oh, weird. And it was really foggy. And I, I kicked off the cruise control and, and I you know just drove. And I went up and down two more hills until I saw a light in through the fog. And I, I pulled in, and it was uh, Jehovah's Witness Church on a gravel road. Well, I pulled in there and turned around, and, and seeing the Jehovah's Witness Church, I knew exactly where I was. I was five miles past my hometown. Huh. So I'd driven ten miles, and as I sit there, I realized, you know, I was thinking, what the hell happened to me? And I realized, hey, give me shelter still on. And it was on for another minute and a half. Weird. So for some, somehow, 
I went, you know, 10 miles, not knowing it, in, you know, like three minutes. That's odd. That is weird. The fog has something to do with it, I think. Maybe so. I have have no idea. I can't claim to know anything that happened or if anything paranormal happened. or uh, yeah, I have no idea. I'm just I'm not laying claim to, to in knowing anything that happened. I'm just saying I have no idea what it was. It's a, a lot of these stories seem to happen like in, with involving driving. I'm sure you've heard these kind of stories. Like, you know, I wouldn't call them like, like kind of like, for lack of a better term, like phantom rest stop type things, you know, where... People will pull in and eat at a little diner, and it'll seem kind of weird. And then the next time they're driving, it won't be there anymore. Kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've heard I've heard stories like that. But yeah, driving, a lot of stuff, weird stuff happens. Well, I mean, Betty and Barney Hill were driving. Exactly. Now I know that uh, for what lurks beyond, you did uh, you looked into the Madman Markham story. Any update on that? Have we, have we heard from him since uh, the book came out? Yeah, it was really. Um, I just really felt great doing this. Um, and I'll have to thank my readers at, at, at From the Shadows um, because somebody said, hey, I know how to get a hold of him. And uh, I, I got a hold of Mike, Mike Markham and uh, found out what has happened to him You know, ever since he disappeared. Because he disappeared. The last time he was on Art Bell was like 1998. And after that, nobody heard from him. Uh, I, which was in, in, in my book, I talked with, uh, friends of his in, in St. Joseph and they're like, no, he just disappeared. You know, no, no goodbye, no Christmas card the next year, nothing. He was just gone. Which, which is bizarre because he was building this time machine. Right. Out of a Jacob's ladder, you know, so he had enough electricity to fry him into, you know, dust. That he was planning on jumping through. <laughs> so, you know, disappearing, yeah, I could kind of see that. But no, I, I tracked him down and he's, he's living uh, in Cincinnati, which is where he was from to begin with. Um, what had happened is, is he got money. People started because of his, um, exposure on, on, uh, Coast to Coast AM back in the 90s. People started donating money to him and he was able to rent a warehouse in, uh, in Kansas City, and build a, you know, big model of his time machine. And he practiced, you know, on, on the time jump by throwing, you know, like, grape through, grapefruit through. Yeah. And the grapefruit would disappear, and he would go out of the parking lot, and it would, you know, reappear in various different parts of, of the parking lot. Uh, because something that people don't get about time travel, which is really kind of scary... You know, if you build a time machine and you jump through it and you actually go 10 years in the future, where do you land? Right, because it's like the Earth's rotating, that kind of thing. The Earth's rotating, the galaxy, you know, the, the, the Milky Way's rotating, our galaxy's ro- rotating, our solar system, I mean, is ro- rotating. So we'd be in the middle of space. Yeah. Ooh, creepy. Yeah, so, I mean, that it, would, it would disappear and, and reappear someplace else. Uh, he actually, he threw a hamster in that lived. Oh, oh good. Yeah, well, not the first one, but the second one did. <laughs> uh, so he decided that he, I mean, he videotaped all of this stuff. And he decided, you know, it's time. He, he had notes, I mean, he had everything written down, all of his equipment was there, all of his videotapes were there. And he's like, people are going to have this, we're going to have this, I'm going to be able, you know, to, to have all this knowledge of this time machine and show the world. And he jumped through. And he woke up in a field, you know, in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
said it was winter, and he just woke up. He had no idea who he was, had no idea where he was. It was out there, of course, outside the city. Um, and he, he started walking. Somebody found him. He went to a homeless shelter for a while. Uh, eventually, he started remembering who he was and what had happened. And after two years, he went back to, he had enough money to go back to Kansas City, and the warehouse was empty. All of his stuff was gone. Oh, God. Weird. And now he's back in Cincinnati. He's he's back in Cincinnati, yeah. And he know, has no idea who took all his stuff? Nope, not a clue. No, he, he said he tried to get a hold of a couple of his benefactors who had given him money and has not been able to find them. Yeah, he's uh he said that he wanted to uh you know he he would be interested in resuming his uh his experiments if he had the cash but but he doesn't. Uh, I actually uh wrote an article for uh, Nexus magazine a couple of years ago about this and um there's some people in England who got a hold of me who were interested in helping him out financially and I hooked them up and and you know really hate you know did a bad job following up. I haven't checked back with him for you know since then. Strange. Now how does he know, given that he was all, like, disoriented, does he know sort of, like, when, how much time elapsed between the leap, I guess you could say? For, for, I'm a big Quantum Leap fan, so I guess I'm glad to get that in there. But from, <laughs> from, from, from the leap from Kansas City to Cincinnati? It was, uh, he's, he's pretty sure it was a year or two. So, like, he went in, came out two years later in Cincinnati? Yeah, when I talked to him, he he said I'm 37 years old uh, officially, but uh, actually I'm only 35. Weird. Holy shit! See, that's when you need like a cohort who's going to stick around in the in the, in the warehouse. <laughs> it's like it's, uh, to pay the rent and shit while you're while you're in the future. Yeah, it's nice to have friends. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Could you uh, like cover my back if uh, I disappear and go into the future? That would be awesome. Then again, yeah. Then that person probably ends up on trial for like murder or something. Till you <laughs> till you show up like two years yeah, later. He probably had somebody, and you can see him when when, he, when Markham disappeared, just kind of slink away. Yeah, it's like uh, it's been like a week. He's not coming back. Yeah, I, I get the hell out of here before people start asking questions. <laughs> Very weird. Well, that's an interesting twist on the story. I'd never, obviously, I'd never heard this this update on the on the Madman Markham story. Very weird. Well, I'm the guy who broke the update, so you're hearing it here first, folks. Nice. That's why we have off and on for off its oddities. Uh, what about this uh, terror in the shopping mall? I'm a big fan of malls, so this story kind of stood out to me because uh, something this, this sounds like a very creepy sort of like old timey mall that that uh, you know has a presence in it. Yeah, the 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 mall. Yeah, I've, I've been a big fan of malls for for a long time because I mean, it's, hey, where did I hang, hang out in high school? <laughs> at the mall. Used to go uh, watch the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight during the summer at the mall. <laughs> and the mall I went and hung out with has got like four stores now. Yeah, it looks like the zombie apocalypse already happened. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. This. Uh, yeah. I, I talked to the woman. Uh, you know. Well. The mall had been built in the seventies, like where all the malls were, you know, popular back back then. Um, she worked in in this mall uh, in starting in two thousand five at a retail clothing store, and it was you know just a job. She was assistant manager. Uh, a few things started happening, just minor things at first. Uh, you know, if everybody had gone home, she'd be you know working on the books, and she'd hear uh, hangers rattling. 
And she'd go check, and there wouldn't be any hangers rattling. Um, there'd be nobody in the store. She started hearing footsteps on, uh, you know, on, on the tile floor, floor when she was there alone. And, you know, she'd go look, and nobody'd be there. Now, this sort of thing kind of creeped her out, but she kind of ignored it because it you know, didn't harm her. Uh, strange things um, started escalating. People uh, who worked for us started feeling, you know, saying that they, you know, in this one corner of the store, they just they just felt sad. <laughs> the store just felt sad, you know, in this in this corner. Um, people who were trying on clothes in the back of the changing room uh, started complaining that you know somebody's slamming the door, somebody's beating on on the door when I'm back here, and they'd be the only person back there. Uh, eventually, uh, employees started hearing somebody, uh, kind of a sexless voice, they couldn't tell if it was male or female, saying, hey, or hi, huh. when nobody else was there. Bulbs, light bulbs burned out like crazy. Just little, little bitty haunting things, uh, like that, uh, and, until, uh, the assistant man, or the, the manager left, and, and, and Susan, uh, the assistant manager, uh, was appointed manager. And then things really started to escalate. Uh, employees started seeing a man in a brown business suit, you know, going through the clothes. And when they approached him and asked if he needed help, he'd disappear. Uh, sale signs they'd have up for, for merchandise, they'd find, you know, they just, it'd just fall on the floor for no reason. You know, they'd, they'd start finding pencils and notebooks and uh, things of, of that nature just sitting in, in weird places. Huh. Uh, eventually, uh, there was a cold spot back in the stock room, and, uh, and, and Susan was back there one day. Uh, it was, it was during operating hours, so there's somebody, there was another employee there, and this employee was helping, uh, helping a customer out in the front, and Susan was back in the stock room, and she went into the bathroom that was back in the stock room, and when she went to get out of the bathroom, she couldn't. The door wasn't locked, it just wouldn't budge. And, you know, she screamed and nobody heard her, and she started really pounding her shoulder on the door, and eventually it moved far enough away that where, where she could squeeze out of, the, out of the door crack. And she looked, and there was these, you know, big boxes of merchandise that had been stacked up against the door. Oh, God. Yeah, and she went and asked, and, and then the other person there was like, you know, nobody's been in the storeroom. I've been helping, these, you know, this customer the whole time. You know, and, and eventually... She got scared enough of being there, especially when she was manager and had to be there alone, where she called the paranormal team to come in and take a look. And uh, this paranormal team had a psychic. Oh, God. And she could tell when the psychic walked in that whatever was inhabiting her store uh, did not like the psychic. She could feel that the energy was just pissed off. Hey. And the psychic, uh, you know, commanded this presence to leave right before, right before the, the paranormal team left. And after that, things really escalated. Susan went in, uh, the next, the next Monday, cause this was over the weekend. She, she went in the next Monday and, um, all the, the, the signs that she had posted for sales were like scattered everywhere. And, and it took a while to put everything back up. And she was talking about, to, to one of the employees about, um, yeah, you know about you know the signs like what, what's going on, and then your employees like I, I I don't know, but you know this place is haunted. We we really <laughs> need to do something about it. And they heard a cracking noise, and they looked up, and a display that that weighed about 120 pounds that was you know took a whole lot of effort to bolt to the wall, 
broke away from the wall, shot out about five feet, and crashed to the ground. Jesus. And at that point, they were like, F this. Yeah. And they walked out of the store, and, and when they got out of the store, uh, somebody from the neighboring store had come out, and, and because their entire electricity went out, and, and they started talking, uh, you know, about weird things that were happening, and, and, and this employee from the other store pointed in, into Susan's store, and she goes, look. And all the signs they just put back up on the wall and, and over clothing racks, you know, were blowing like it was in a big wind. God. So uh, Susan quit. Jesus. I guess you never know. It could have been like somebody that died in the store like years ago in the 70s or something when the mall was built. Or I mean, or or, or something. I mean, you, you you never know. I mean, it's it, people put hauntings with buildings, and a lot of times it isn't with a building; it's with a place. Uh, I had had you know, it's been a number of years ago. I was uh, me and a couple other guys were drinking beer, um, playing which has nothing to do with the story. Uh, <laughs> drinking some beer and, and, and playing a card game called Pitch uh, in the basement of a friend's house, and and, and the basement was was completely empty. Uh, it was a new house. Uh, as far as he knew, nothing had ever been built on the property. Uh, but the guy's name was Victor. And anyway, we were playing pitch in the basement, uh, just completely concrete, and there were no women in the house at all, and the doors were locked upstairs. Playing cards, all of a sudden, a woman's voice, clear as hell, said, Victor, oh, from one geez. of the corners of the, of, of the basement. And all of us kind of looked at each other, and we finished that hand of cards, and we left. <laughs> we left Victor there alone. Screw him. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I wasn't going to stay any far. This Poor Victor. Longer. But, um, no, the thing is, 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 you know, that wasn't associated with the house. It couldn't have been. Because it was a brand new house. Brand right. new foundation poured. Somebody might have died on that spot. Yeah. Yeah. We also, it ties too into, you know, thinking about the shopping mall story. It's like, you wonder, is it, like some kind of poltergeist-type activity, maybe, you know. Because women, you know, I figure it's like a retail clothing store. I figure there was probably a lot of ladies working there and that kind of the sort of thing that conjures up poltergeist activity, they think, you know. Maybe. I, I you know, I, I don't know. Poltergeist, poltergeist activities are usually, uh, you know, associated with, with teenage girls. Um, the only thing that happens when when a bunch of women so work in the environment is they start cycling <laughs> at the same time. What's that? Oh, this, uh, that's true. Well, you'd think given how many teenage girls are at shopping malls that we'd see more poltergeists there. Which there should be shit flying all over the place. Yeah. Exactly. Stay away from the Mongolian barbecue. <laughs> that will cause shit to be flying all yeah. over the place. <laughs> Oh man, this, how the psychic came tried to tried to tried to force the entity out. That make that must make for an awkward. Obviously, it did when the lady came back to work. Makes must make for an awkward situation because, like, the, you know, the paranormal entity's still there. It's like, hey man, thanks a lot. Thank thank. I thought you know, thank, thanks yeah. for thanks for bringing somebody in to shun me. Really, yeah, I thought that. we were cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know if I was the entity, I'd be pissed. No, it's just like Tim Tebow felt. Exactly. It's like, yeah, no, uh, hey Tim, we're we're gonna bring in uh, Peyton Manning to talk to. Uh, just you, just hang hang tight. Yeah. It's like, thanks for selling all those jerseys. See you later. <laughs> now, one uh, story that was on the blog that I I found interesting because it, it it constitutes a a field trip on your part, and that's this trip to uh, this place called Gravity Hill. 
So I always love these stories, uh, you know, where where we can get your first-hand perspective on sort of going and, and visiting these places. I wish you'd go down to the Fay community, but maybe when I eventually make my trip out to Missouri, that's that's the first place I'll visit. But tell us about the uh, tell us about Gravity Hill. What is this? Okay, and if we do go to the Fay community, I hope they make really good popcorn. Why do you say that? What can you imagine how cool fairy popcorn could be? Oh. <laughs> How about their drinks? How about, you know, if I could drink with an elemental, that might be amazing. I bet you they have some fantastic brews. Right, like uh, shamrock shakes, only better. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, Gravity Hill, uh, yeah, I love I, I, I love going places. Uh, Gravity Hill was uh, especially fun because I knew no nothing was going to kill me. Um, anyway, it's, it's in southern Missouri. Uh, well, gosh, you know, south. Western Missouri. Uh, I talked with a couple of uh, students who lived from that area, and they were to- they were telling me about uh, Gravity Hill, where you park your car and it it uh, it moves by itself. And you know, I I did some research, and about every state has got one of these. You know, a place where you can park your vehicle, and you know, it supposedly moves. Some places it's got a weird twist, like um, you know, you park on the on on train tracks, yeah, or on a bridge. But uh, this this is a hill, and supposedly if you park on this hill, your car can get up to about 25 miles an hour just sitting in neutral. You know, Weird. people are like, you know, this is, you know, it's it's an optical illusion. You look like you're flat, you know, because of the terrain, but really, you know, you're you're on a slope. That's why it moves. Yeah. So I, I took some uh, took some levels from from my garage, and uh, and and went down there and. I found a spot. Uh, I parked in a couple of spots and, and let the car go and come to find out that the spots were on a slope. But I finally found one spot where I set these these levels down that my car was sitting on a level plane. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't just set it on one spot. I set it all around my vehicle. So, I mean, there's no way that this thing should move when I put it in neutral. Right. You know, I, I marked this spot in the gravel road pretty well so I could go back and try it again and again and again. And I got in and put it in neutral, and boom, it took off. And I got up to about, you know, 15, 17 miles an hour. Wow. And that was pretty awesome. Uh, and I would back up and do the same thing again. The thing I think was really cool, I did it seven times. It worked six. I parked in exactly the same spot each time because I marked where the tires would be, and I made sure I put my vehicle in exactly the same spot every time. Weird. Well, and it didn't do it every time. Hmm. Now, the legend with this this place is that, you know, there were kids that got killed in a car wreck, you know, whatever. There's really no proof of that. And supposedly, if you put flour on your bumper, there will be kids' handprints there. Right. I was just going to ask about that aspect of these legends. Yeah, well, and and you know a lot of like, a lot of these you know places, a lot of these legends have the whole kid handprints thing, and right. And I just uh, too cheap to to waste flour. I just didn't wash my car for a while, <laughs> and uh, you know I got I got no handprints. But um, six out of seven times my car moved. That's you know, weird. I would think that maybe there was something you know non strange about it if it happened every time. Right. The fact right. that it didn't happen every time, you know, really, really tipped me off to, to where there, you know, there, there might be something to this gravity hill. Did you feel like freaked out or any sort of weird emotional 
feeling in, in you when this was going on, other than maybe elation that it was happening? No, that was that was it, the, the elation that was happening. The, hey, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, static electrical feeling or anything weird like that? No, no, uh, nothing. Interesting, okay. Weird. What do your scientist friends think of this? Hmm, I never talked to them about it. See Thanks. What? Thanks for calling me out for, for <laughs> to talk to my scientist friends. I thought you would, I, you know, it isn't. I figured it's always the 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 goal of the paranormal investigator to be proven right. So I thought you would enjoy, you know, being like, "Well, all right, dude, let's go. We'll go down to Gravity Hill. I'll show you." Yeah, well, I'm gonna drive three hours again with, a, <laughs> with these guys just to show them the hill. <laughs> Then you won't be friends with them anymore. Why, have you ridden with me before? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just mean, with your luck, too, then you'd get down there, and that would be, you wouldn't work anymore, and you'd be like, no, I'm serious, it happened. Oh, yeah, with boy. a few colorful expletives in there. Yeah. <laughs> Another story I found interesting, only really because I'm, I'm completely burned out on Roswell stories, so I mean this with all due respect to the, to the storyteller, but it, the only thing I really found interesting was the way you were approached by this guy telling the story. And this is the one about Roswell, UFOs, and, and an eight-year-old boy, and the guy who overheard his dad and some uh, military-type guy talking about Roswell. I thought it was just really weird the way, you know, he just writes to you and, and sends you his phone number, and he's like, I have information you might want to know. Does that happen to you a lot, where people are like, they want to tell you a story, but they're reticent, so they they also want you to kind of chase them a little bit or something? Well, not not usually. This was the strangest one that, that I had on that on the, on that case, because usually, you know, people are like, okay, I had this encounter. Do you want to talk to me about it? Well, hell yes, I do. Yeah. You know, and this guy was, I mean, he, he sent me an email message out of the blue. I had no idea who this guy was. And he, the message was, hello, I might have some information you will want to hear. That was it. Yeah. And his telephone number. And so I wrote him back and said, any hints? And about three hours later, he wrote back and he, he said, what? Sorry, I thought you wanted information. UFO. No reply is necessary. And I was thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> but anyway, I called his number and, and, I, and I talked to the guy. He's, um, he was 67. He's, gosh, if he's still around, he's going to be in his early 70s by now. But um, he, he was, his voice was really scratchy. Um, he'd, had, he'd had lung cancer, uh, had one of his lungs removed. Uh, his uh, uh, throat was, was damaged whenever they were, when they were operating. He had uh, also a tumor on his, on his thyroid, so his, his voice was, was, was damaged. And anyway, so this guy, he, he, he was telling me that he, he knows that he doesn't have all that much time left on, on, on the earth. And he wanted to get this story out. And he didn't want me to use his real name either. I called him Marty in the story, but, you know, this, this kind of led, you know, lent some credence to maybe this guy was telling me the truth because he was, you know, not wanting any credibility, not, not wanting any, any credit for it. Yeah. Anyway, but he was telling me that when he was eight, his dad, um, took him to, to, uh, the Pickwick Hotel in Kansas City. Because a, uh, a high school buddy of his dad's was going to be in town, he was stopping at the at the at the bus station and was going to stay in town overnight and, and take off after that. And they they stopped at the hotel and met his dad's uh, met his dad's friend. And and Marty doesn't know what branch of services his dad's friend was in, but he was wearing a military uniform. And this was in in 1949. 
uh, anyway, so they, they went in the hotel room and, uh, the guys were sitting at the, at a table and they were talking about things and, and Marty was sitting on the bed trying to, you know, find out, you know, find out something to do with himself. You know, it's not like they had Nickelodeon at that time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he started, eventually started listening to them. And, uh, and his dad's friend was talking about working at White Sands Missile Range and, uh, which is the, the site of the atomic test. And when they were testing new missiles, he told his dad that there was uh, an object, a flying object, a disc-shaped object that would circle the missiles. It would just—it was like it was inspecting them as they went up, and then uh, it would just swish, go away. Yeah. And uh, after listening to this, the, the dad uh, the line of questioning was eventually, you know, I heard a rumor about about Roswell that uh, you know one of these flying saucers crashed there. And, and Marty said that, that, you know, my dad's friend got extremely serious and he said, I can't talk about it. He said, it happened. It's real, but that's all I can tell you. And then the gentleman noticed that the boy was listening to them and they both, you know, looked over and, you know, kind of made, you know, frowned and, and, uh, and, and his dad said, Marty, I know you heard this, but you got to forget everything. And they eventually, uh, you know, after, after the little reunion, reunion was over, they left and, and went home. And, uh, at, at some point, this is a couple of years later, they, uh, Marty's dad took him to a UFO meeting in Kansas City. And during the meeting, he leaned over to Marty and his dad leaned over to Marty and said, these people are squirrely as squirrels. <laughs> And they just sit there and, and, and listened, listened, and on the way home, uh, Marty's dad said to him, what you saw tonight was horse hockey. He said, we know the truth. We heard the truth. You know, just that was it. And it, he said his dad never talked to him about it again. Strange. That was it. That was the guy's story. It's weird, too, because uh, the meeting was in 49, which is a couple years after Roswell. And it's like most people didn't even know anything about Roswell until, like, the 80s. So makes it even, you know... Stranger in a sense. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was all over the press in, in, in 1947. Yeah, I guess that's true. So maybe people did remember it, but then it kind yeah, of... Yeah, I mean, people just, I mean, we just forgot about it, you know, over the years. Unless you're like a UFO. It's weird the UFO community seemed to not recall it for a long time either. Well, I guess... Because I've got, I've got uh, you know, a reproduction of the, of the Roswell Daily Record yeah. in my office at work. You know, the, the flying, you know, disc crashed. Yeah. Very strange. I just love the way the guy contacted you, like. <laughs> the, the weird text-esque <laughs> response to UFO. Yeah, it's like, I've got something you want to hear. UFO. <laughs> Call me. No soup for you. <laughs> now, speaking of uh, strange correspondences, uh, we talked about this one a while ago. I, I, I think it was the, it was in, it, it was in, um, Darkness walks. This was about the teenage kids that were had like weird abilities, and they were—I think they were trying to fight shadow people or something like that. Yeah, it was uh, Casey was the girl who who contacted me. Yeah, they uh, um, she had like a Scooby gang together, right? And uh, they were, you know, combating shadow people. And yeah, it seems like uh, every one of them had a different ability—the ability to see them or the, the ability to stop them—and. Like the X Men. Uh, I mean, it sounded like you know the X Men movie or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had a correspondence with her for for a while, for a number of months. Um, 
and she would, you know, I mean, she told me stories about, uh, you know, a shadow person appearing in her car as she was driving. And, uh, she, you know, tried, jerked her wheel and tried to drive her into a brick wall, but the brick wall had a pentagram and, uh, it disappeared because, and she figured the pentagram was the source of power against these, you know, shadow entities. And okay. so she had one tattooed on her hand. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I, I frankly, uh, Tim, I haven't heard anything from her since then. It's All like right. two, 2008 since I last heard from her. Well, let's hope they're out there fighting the good fight for us. Battling the forces of evil. Yeah. You know, if I ever go battle the forces of evil, I am wearing a Batman suit. <laughs> you should, have you seen the movie on real life superheroes? No, I have not. There's, this, there's people that do that. <laughs> Well, I know there's a, there's a guy, uh, I don't remember uh, his superhero name, but a 25-year-old guy in, uh, I think it was in Washington State or maybe it was Oregon, who dressed up in a, in a Superman suit, not a Superman suit, but a superhero suit, and, and you know, went to battle crime, and uh, he was trying to stop a fight, and, uh, and you know, between a, a guy and his girlfriend, and, and uh, the, the boyfriend beat the hell out of him. <laughs> That's got to be embarrassing when you're in the when you're in the. Well, it's got to be. Yeah, I'm dressed up, you know, like uh, you know, like Hawkman or some shit like that, and you know, you know, some guy named Biff punches me out. That's that's really embarrassing. <laughs> oh man, that's when you retire the superhero outfit. Now we 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 talked about uh, I'm you know I'm, I I got obsessed here for a while on the Fay Girl, but uh, th- that's not the only tale of paranormal love. That can be found at From the Shadows. Uh, there's also a tale of uh, a story about a man who thinks that he may have uh, been romantically involved with an alien. And for the record, for the record, uh, From the Shadows is all about love. <laughs> yes, uh, a guy named Scott Palmer. Uh, he grew up in Marceline, Missouri. Marceline, Missouri, uh, famous at least in Missouri because that's the town where Walt Disney lived until he was five. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he, he, the town's like you know, 2,500 people. He he grew up there, and uh, in the uh, early 80s, he uh, and a friend moved to nearby Columbia, Missouri, where the University of Missouri is. His sister was uh, going to school there, and he was uh, looking for a job. So him and his buddy were crashing on his sister's couch, and she was living with a couple other girls, which is awesome if you're like 19 or 20 years old. Uh, hanging out with, with, with all these girls. And, um, one he really liked. Uh, she was a blonde girl, really tall. He said, uh, she was dressed, uh, she was, you know, looked, looked kind of like a gymnast. Um, had blue eyes. Uh, any, anyway, he took a, took a real liking to her and, and flirted with her quite a bit. And eventually, uh, asked her out for a date and she said yes. And, um, you know, they, they went out. He said she was really, really weird, uh, anytime he talked with her. Uh, she was fairly emotionless, and whenever he'd bring up things at the time um, that were relevant, this was back in the day where the Rubik's Cube was relevant, and uh, <laughs> he, he, she had no idea what it was. Oh, weird. And, you know, he'd, he'd bring up... Uh, you know, events that people should know things about, like, you know, who, you know, who won the World Series, who won the Super Bowl, um, this year. You know, a lot of people don't pay attention to that, but, uh, you know, it's all over the news. And, uh, she didn't know anything about current events whatsoever, didn't know anything about pop culture whatsoever. 
and he just th- th- thought it was weird. And uh, eventually, he talked her into having sex with him. And <laughs> I like the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, some guys really have to work at it. Um, and I guess if you know if you're from uh, beta, zeta reticuli, I mean it's you know takes a you know a lot of talking, yeah, or clicks and whistles. But we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he said that she was again really emotionless, and she was she was like she had no idea what they were doing, and um, she didn't didn't talk a lot, didn't talk a lot before, didn't talk a lot uh, after, um, and didn't act like anything had happened. Uh, a few days later, uh, she announced that her sister was coming into town. And her sister came into town, and, and, uh, this guy got his buddy who was also staying at the apartment. He's like, come on, you gotta go on a double date. You know, and, and the buddy, I, I, I interviewed him as well, and he was like, I don't know what he saw in that girl. She was pretty ugly. But, he agreed to go out with, with his girl's sister, and they, they looked like almost identical twins. They were the same height, same gymnast body, um, blue eyes amazingly pale skin and before the date the guys were sitting on the couch and these two girls who said they were sisters started talking to each other and they got into an argument and started yelling and when they noticed the the boys were paying attention to this they walked into the other room and both of the guys heard the same thing their voices turned into something that sounded like you know something from the cantina scene on star wars you know, like an insect type noise. Yeah. You know, clicks, scraping, whistles, shrieks. And this scared the fuck out of them. <laughs> and they, they ran, you know, they, they got out of there. They, they, they left and, and went and, and talked about this. And, and eventually they thought, you know, if these things are aliens, which they might be, they might be kind of ticked off that we're not there anymore. So they went back and, and went on the date. They took the girls to dinner and then dumped them back home and, and moved out of their sister's apartment, this guy's sister's apartment, as, as quick as possible. Weird. Did he ever hear from this chick again or no? This is the 80s. No, he, he, he didn't want to. He didn't want to at all. Uh, he, um, he would not give me his, his sister's contact information, but uh, but I I talked him into to getting a hold of his sister, and he said his sister just was not he didn't want uh, she didn't want to give him any information about this girl at all. <laughs> Odd, and the weird part too is like you wonder what they you wonder what they were. Well, first of all, it's weird that it sounded like she was fairly emotionless. Then 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 it changes on a dime, and she's fighting with the sister, and you wonder what they're fighting about. In the first I don't know place. which one gets to eat the head first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very weird stuff. See, so that there is love blooming it from the shadows. Yes, absolutely. Now I had I had skipped this one, but I want to bring it back because because uh, we're sort of we're sort of not feeling the pinch on time. And that this is the one about uh, the man who never feels cold. Because uh, as you say uh, in the post, I mean this has been well documented. This isn't. This almost goes. This is paranormal, but then it goes into sort of like you know paranormal that's backed up by proof that this guy feels no cold. So it's a very bizarre story. So I guess it I only share fits that. in paranormal because paranormal means beyond what's normal. Right. So it just it's kinda of weird. Yeah. Yeah. A guy named Harold Deal from Lawson, Missouri, which Lawson's an interesting town. I actually lived there for a year and uh, this guy's from Lawson, Missouri. Uh, I also 
I wrote a uh, a uh, Black Eyed Kids encounter from Lawson. <laughs> so yeah, some strange things have happened there. Any, anyway, back in 1969, Harold Deal was an electric uh, electrical contractor, and uh, he had a son uh, Larry who was who was about ten at the time, uh, working on a house, and it was nine something, and a thunderstorm hit. And and his his son Larry kept saying, "Dad, come on, please take me home. I, I don't like being out here in this thunderstorm." So they got in the truck and went home. And uh, he looked at his, at his watch uh, when they pulled into the parking lot. It was like I think nine twenty one or something uh, p.m. He sent his son to the house uh, to see if the door was open because he had a bunch of papers he didn't want to get really wet. Um, anyway, and his son opened the door and beckoned him to come inside. And Harold stepped out out of his truck, walked a few steps, and then he said it's like he felt like his uh there was an explosion and it felt like his head was pushed down into his shoulders. Uh what had happened is lightning struck him and he was blasted out of his shoes. Uh he had he had he had boots with, with tall laces, uh and he was just blasted out of those. Uh he said later people found his shoes and all of the little eye holes, the eyelets that you lace up were gone. Um, anyway, he he didn't remember any, he didn't know anything until like four o'clock in the morning. And then it was like everything was was pins and needles. Um, he couldn't move. Uh, he was in tremendous pain. Uh, he ended up having like uh, two two vertebrae removed from his from his back um, to relieve the pain, and. He was told he would never walk again, and, and he eventually did. But one of the things that he he discovered was that he heat bothered him now. But other than heat, he couldn't feel pain, he couldn't taste anything, and he could not feel cold. Oh. And and as you're saying, this thing was well documented. Uh, yes, I mean he he had all sorts of medical tests run. Uh, he was in, uh, you know, featured in newspaper articles around the, around the world. Um, he was in uh, on, on news news TV programs around the world. Uh, he wears shorts and uh, and a t-shirt all the time. Never wears a coat. Um, he's I mean he will if he's feeling uncomfortable by the heat he'll he'll buy a bunch of bags of ice and just sit in the bathtub covered with bags of ice. Okay. Uh, he he once uh, appeared in um, where was it Hell Michigan? I think that was the name of the town Hell Michigan. Um, for some some TV promotion, and he had to stand four hours in negative seventy degree temperatures, and it didn't damage his skin at all. He said he didn't feel cold at all, didn't didn't hurt him at all. See, that's the weird part too. It's not that it just doesn't hurt him, but he doesn't. I can fathom that. I can understand that he was his right. nerves were damaged to where he couldn't feel the pain, but it would still. You'd think it would damage the flesh, but it doesn't. So weird. Bizarre, and it's like, how could that? The strange part is, it's like you could maybe understand—I don't know—someone being born with that kind of anomaly somehow. But then, but to be to to gain that weird ability from being struck by lightning is so—you know—makes you wonder about the real potential of the human species in a way. Right, like you know, I'd love to get bitten by a radioactive spider. Exactly. No, it's it's the same type of thing. It's like he's now now has a superpower. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I uh, also interviewed uh, a doctor in um, 
in Chicago at, at, at a clinic that deals with, uh, with, with electrical, you know, electrical shock, lightning, lightning storms or severe, uh, uh, electrical shocks. And, um, she said this, this sort of stuff happens. Weird things happen to people when they get hit with that much electricity. She doesn't know of any case like Harold deals where he can't feel, can't feel cold at all or he's not affected by it. He, uh, also went through, uh, sort of a spiritual transformation. He, um, at one point in his life, uh, his wife at the time uh, divorced him and left uh, because of all the problems he was going through with the surgeries and the fact that he was now kind of an outcast. Uh, all of his former friends kind of abandoned him. Uh, and he was he was close to committing suicide, and he said that he 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 said God spoke to him. He said God spoke to him. He said God spoke to me, and he told me that I had a better purpose. And uh, now Harold Deal works uh, with the uh, Lightning Strike and Electric Shock Survivors International Group, and uh, and he deals he he helps people through problems they've have they have with uh, with with you know what what's happened to it, to them. Huh. Well, that's good. Yeah, well, it's strange. It's uh struck by lightning. No one wants that to happen. But then you hear the story and you're like, ah, oh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's go out there and play. <laughs> Give me a golf club. Um, all right. Now the last story I have here on the list is uh, is about some really strange creature called the the Kalanoro that uh, apparently lurks in Madagascar. Right. And the reason I, I grabbed onto this is a, a professor from the University of Missouri has done a lot of work in Madagascar. Right. Um, and there is. Uh, well, this this started back in the uh, late 1990s. A uh, this was a story allegedly Navy SEALs photographed of uh, a group of 13 uh, Kalinaro uh, who are gray unidentified apes that have quills rolling, you know, going up and down its spine, and for some odd reason their feet are on backward. Okay, I again, as we talked about earlier in in you know in the interview, pictures, you know, I don't trust them at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't believe them at all. And the ape-like thing with the quills in the back kind of remind me a little bit about uh, you know the uh, chupacabra. But, right, uh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going there too much because <laughs> it doesn't really suck blood. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this thing is is also any um, anyway. This this professor from. Uh, uh, the University of Missouri, his name is Joe Hobbs. Uh, he's studied a little bit about it, uh, the, the, the indigenous cultures of, of Madagascar, and, and people there believe in this thing. They don't really see it as, you know, an unidentified ape with, with backward feet. Um, they see it as more of a spiritual being, kind of like the elves and trolls uh, of European uh, European folklore. Yeah. And and what this thing allegedly does is it steals children um from bad parents, which to me kind of kind of rings of um, you know rings of a you know threatening you know the society threatening parents yeah you know that if you you know if you're not nice to your kids you know the Colorado is going to come and get you. Um, it's like a supernatural social worker. Right, right, exactly. Except for you don't have to go to classes afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I really, really like about uh, about this uh, this Kalinaro is that there are uh, tribes that you know have their children that are kidnapped 
Uh, it's not that I like that part, but it's <laughs> the part I like. Yeah, yeah. On turn of phrase. <laughs> there's, there's a different type of, uh, of paranormal entity called a tromba, which is a spirit that, um, will demand, you know, you must give me, you know, this type of food. And I'll give you your kids, you know, I'll, I'll make the culinary, I'll give you your, 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 uh, kids back. And, and these people will give it food and, and, uh, and, and Mr. Hobbs or Dr. Hobbs, Said that, that that this one village that was having a problem with the Colinaro, there was one specific villager who had who was possessed by a tromba, this this spirit, and the tromba would tell parents, if you leave offerings of honey and liquor in the forest, I'll make sure your kids come back. And the kids would go leave, or the, the parents would go leave their honey and liquor in the forest, and it would disappear, and their kids would come back. Hmm. I want that job. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds, yeah. I would totally be possessed by a tromba. Yeah, you give me some honey and then some liquor. Yeah, you can have your kids, no problem. <laughs> sounds like extortion. Yeah, that's a good deal, see? Some of these paranormal entities haven't figured out. All right, now we've we've talked about a lot of uh, devious and sinister and downright creepy creatures and, and uh, entities in this two-hour conversation, but uh, you've, you've kind of had your own run-in with a devious entity uh, over the last few weeks, if not month or so, uh, this is, this is the, uh, the plagiarist who has taken from you and, and, and won an award in, in, uh, stealing uh, an article written by you, a humor article. So talk about this situation off it versus the plagiarist. Well, this is, you know, something that you don't think, I mean, this is, this is like, you know, getting crabs or something. It's gonna happen to somebody else. It never happens to you. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so, Actually, I probably should have said headlights, but let's go with crabs. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, you don't think this sort of thing is going to happen. Like, somebody's going to steal your your writing, your work, and put their name on it and pass it off as, as theirs. I mean, that, that's something that, that happened pre-Internet. Yeah. You'd think. I mean, because if somebody were, were to do that, they'd get busted in, in two minutes because that's all it would take or even less than that to feed feed something in Google, and that that's kind of what happened. Um I got contacted uh, by a, a fellow uh, humor columnist uh, who, who now lives in Singapore. He was looking for an article that he'd written uh, back in 2001. So he fed a few keywords that he knew he wrote in that specific order into Google, and his article came up. And it came up again and again and again, and two of those agains had a guy named John Flatland's name attached to it. And he was kind of upset and curious, and he did more research and, and discovered that this guy, um, and it's okay that I say John Flatland over and over because the guy has admitted to the Associated Press that he did plagiarize. Um, so legally, you're off the hook, Tim. All right, yeah. No, my yeah. brother's a lawyer. We're all good. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so um, he, he looked and he, and he found at least a dozen humor columnists who this guy had been plagiarizing over the years and passing the work off off as their own. And, you know, one of the people was me, the guy that had stolen some of my stuff. Um, and the initial initial email said, yes, and John Flatlands won the North Dakota Newspaper Association's Humor Columnist of the Year for 2011. Uh, we're not sure whose column it is, but we'll keep digging into it. And uh, come to find out it was mine. <laughs> an article about uh, that I wrote about me going to the grocery store and uh, uh, you know buying tampons for my wife. 
And he just and, took uh, it. And he, he won the award. So, and I, I was, I, I was two emotions at the same time. I was, I was flattered and angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for a while I was kind of flangry. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, cause like, hey, my stuff's good enough for somebody to rip off. Oh, that bastard ripped me off! So I, you know, I explored all sorts of options, talked to a number of other columnists, I mean, cause he ripped off columnists from, from, from Singapore to Honolulu. My goodness. Uh, and come to find out he did, he got busted for this back in the 90s and still continue to do it. Um, since then, um, you know, I, I explored legal stuff, I talked to a couple lawyers about it and, and I didn't want any money cause one newspaper people don't have any money. Um, cause I was one at one point. Yeah. Because I teach now and teachers don't have any money, so that's, you know, <laughs> but, um, the, the one thing I wanted and the other, uh, humor columnist, this guy had ripped off, John Flatland, uh, had ripped off. <laughs> All we wanted was for, to get this, to get this out, to have people know that this guy is a thief. Yeah. And, uh, the Associated Press picked a story up, uh, for the Pointer Institute, which is, you know, the go-to place for journalist education, you know, got this. The National Society of Newspaper Columnists had this, uh, NPR, uh, all sorts of- Oh wow, so it's really gotten around. Stuff in the Midwest. So this stuff went, not only did it go all over, you know, the Midwest, all over the United States, since one of the columnists was from, now lives in Singapore, it was in the, uh, Times of India. Oh wow. So this guy's name is crap all over all over the place. Good. Did you? What are the odds that they're gonna just like change the name on the plaque and give you the award? You deserve it. I mean, or do you have to write in North Dakota to get it? Uh, I don't. I actually got a hold of the uh, president of the North Dakota uh, Newspaper Association, and uh, is a very nice man. And he and he said to me, he goes, "Yeah, this is this is your column. I'm, we're really sorry that that this happened. You know, we had nothing to do with it, but we're really sorry about this." And I said, "Can I get you know a copy of the award?" He's like, "I'll I'll see what I can do to get it for you. Hopefully, that means he's actually going to try." Um, I would love a copy of the award with my name on it, but I think I would even more like a copy of the award with his name on it. <laughs> so I could take a crayon and cross out John Flatland and write my name in. My goodness. Now what he now from my understanding of the story, he put in his thing and he put in his res his resignation and, and you know, bailed, right? He's is he like nowhere to be found now or is he kinda like falling on his sword and apologizing or is he just sort of like, Yeah, I did it and I'm out of here? Well, yeah, that's that's kind of what happened uh, when he got um, uh, Dave Cox uh, or Dave Fox is the uh, uh, the humor columnist who now lives in Singapore who who initially discovered uh, the the plagiarism. Uh, he contacted the newspaper where this guy worked in Minnesota and talked to the publisher, and the publisher blew it off, you know, first because. Uh, you know, John Flatland had great credentials. He was actually the president of the North Dakota Newspaper Association at one point. So this guy had great credentials and, um, so he blew it off and, and, and then with a second, you know, email and later phone call, you know, this guy went and talked to Flatland about it and Flatland's like, oh yeah, I did it. Screw it. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm resigning before you can fire me. I'm out of here. To quote Eric Cartman, screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> And nobody uh, was able to get a hold of him for for about a week and a half. Finally, the Associated Press bugged him enough to get uh, to get this quote: "Yes, I did it, but not as extensively as what they're saying." Oh God! Even though we we have evidence, so eh, whatever. 
What a dick. Well, good. No one will ever trust him again, so you don't steal from my friend, Jason. Yeah, 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 man. You're going to come out there to Minnesota and, you know, beat some ass. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we got to hold. <laughs> all, all the columnists, we, we got together and we're like, who's the closest? <laughs> okay, I was. Yeah, I'm not paying $3.60 a gallon of gas just to go up and kneecap somebody. <sighs> Crazy. How he must be like in his sixties or something by now, right? He must, he's probably old. Forty-seven years old. Oh, jeez. God, I thought it was weird too. That now we're really digging it because I've, I've been following this story. Uh, I thought it was weird too. Like his daughter's like an editor somewhere, and she's like, "Please stop calling him my dad." Yeah, yeah. His daughter's uh, uh, an editor in, in a, at a paper in Iowa. Yeah, she's. <laughs> Yeah, one of one of the columnists got a, the guy from Honolulu got a hold of her, and she was like, "Okay, I'm going to look into this, but yeah, I'm not claiming him. <laughs> He's not my dad." Oh my god, that must make for an awkward Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's like, listen, could you just bring me on, just you know, weekly? No, dude, no. Yeah. No, dad. Even even worse at Christmas. Oh yeah, thanks for the present, Dad. Where'd you steal it? <laughs> it's what I gave you last year. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with regifting, <laughs> unless you're unless you're a serial plagiarist, then. And unless yes, or, or no, actually he'd be more like, yeah, well, Bill gave that. Bill Bill got the same thing for his daughter, so I figured uh, this would be the perfect gift for you. No, no, because after yeah, after after a while, people will expect it. Oh, it's a present from Uncle Douchebag. <laughs> oh God! All right, so that's the that's the status on the plagiarist. Well, I'm sorry it happened to you, but I'm, I guess I'm glad that it got, you know, exposed. So, it's very weird. Yeah, well, it's just, again, I mean, in journalism, I mean, we are supposed to have ethics. We get them pounded in, into our head from, from college on. I mean, there's, there's a, a plaque on the wall of every news organization in, in the United States you know, saying what you should and shouldn't do. And, uh, I mean, still, I mean, still stuff like this happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, you wonder, it's just, you wonder what goes through somebody's mind when they're doing that kind of thing. It's one thing to, like, you know, do sort of an accidental plagiarism type thing. You hear those kind of stories, but this, this is just serial, blatant, over the top fucking copying. No, this is, this is cocky plagiarism. Right. Yeah, this is I'm going to do this and you. This is not, I kind of read this in a book once, and I think it sounds kind of neat. I don't remember where I got it. Right. But, uh, yeah, I'll change the words. Right, right. This is like, well, like you said, on the one he won the award for, he just changed it to be to, from from Missouri to North Dakota. Well, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it, he, he did. And uh, one of the things he changed is, is I had a footnote. On the article is, uh, is you know, I, I was, back when I used to cover sports, uh, I was at a, at a Monday night football game at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, and I was I was taking a leak up uh, in, in, in the press room bathroom, and, and Dan Deardorff, Hall of Fame uh, offensive lineman from the, uh, from the Cardinals, from the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, who was on Monday night football at the time, stood next to me. And it was like, I, I, I wrote that, man, and in the bathroom, you really can't ask for an autograph. So I told him no. <laughs> that, that that was my joke, and and this guy took the exact joke, but he put Fran Tarkin, Tarkington instead of you know, instead of Deardorff just to regionalize it. Oh my God! That's probably his his 
It's probably his definition of being creative. Right, yeah, just just to change that. Yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't tried to, like, <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't tried to, like, to rebrand himself as, a, this was like a, a long, humorous thing he was trying to do. Oh, now you've got my joke. Yeah, this is performance art. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, if you give any justice in the world the way the way our you know the way the way our you know entertainment system works in this country, he's probably going to get a million dollar book deal. Exactly, a reality show or something. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, that that that's the that's the list here of uh, the strange and unusual that I found in my perusal of uh, From the Shadows. There's so much more in there, folks. You got to check it out. Uh, I highly recommend it. And of course, you're writing for Mysterious Universe all the time now as well. So you're all over the place. Well, yeah, I, I, I try to be. Exactly. Yeah. So what is you know what's going on with you now uh, as 2012 unfolds? Long awaited 2012. Oh yeah, I'm I'm not uh I'm not predicting the world's coming to an end. Okay, good. Yeah, not not gonna happen. Yeah, I, I, I love a story I read recently, uh well not recently, it was a couple months ago. because uh, people think the Mayans disappeared. The Mayans didn't disappear. They're they're, you know, great you know, great advanced cultures with these big cities, uh, you know, and and, and pyramids and whatnot. Yeah, they I mean they kinda of moved away from, from those you know, great structures that we think about, but there are still Mayans. And and in the story, I, I, I read they were like, yeah, I don't know what the big deal is. Right. It's not going to come to an end. You know, it's the end of an age. You know, age of Aquarius, whatever, it comes to an end. So, yeah, just, we'll still be here. Yeah, it's 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 the strangest thing. I mean, well, this, this has been going on since I got into this field, like in the early... 2000s. Everyone's been talking about this 2012 thing, so I can't I, wait. I remember over. this is what a paranormal geek I've been for a long time. I remember as uh, maybe a 10 year old kid reading about the end of the Mayan calendar in December 2012 and thinking, "Man, I'm going to be around for the end of the world." Well, that's unless I'm read around for the end of the world when 2000 hits. You know, which end of the world am I going to worry about? Yeah. Well, I always like. I always think back on the, uh, I saved the front, I don't know if I still have it somewhere around here, but I saved the front page of the Boston Globe on just, uh, January 1st, 2000. It had just like the most amazing sort of mind-bending, uh, lead line. It was like, you know, today's a day that, uh, you know, your great-grandparents, like, never could experience, and your great-grandchildren never will either. It's like the start of a whole new millennium. It's like it's pretty amazing when you think about it like that. But, you know, yeah, and it really we annoyed me, that. and I fought with my publisher because I was still still working in the newspaper in the newspaper industry uh, about the year two thousand. It was not the new millennium. Oh, I know you've given you've sent me eight emails that about before, this, haven't I? Yes, it was two thousand and one. I know, but you know. <laughs> And that was that was my that was exactly that was exactly the, the the publisher's response was well you know everybody thinks it is like we're, we're supposed to be spreading truth <laughs> math is truth right I know it's true but you know when they do like shows like I love the eighties they always start with eighty they never include ninety in it so it's just the it's just the mind of of man. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's one problem. That's that's one of the many many problems I have with the media. Yeah, yeah, we're you know we're we're you know spreading false information because everybody thinks so. So that makes it right. Yeah, I got that speech from my parents when I was a kid. Speaking of uh of the media, I got a show recommendation for you. It's since you're, you're sort of in, well, you are in the media, uh, and you're a big Bill Shatner fan. Uh, oh, Bill Shatner. It's called Aftermath with William Shatner. It's an amazing show. It's like he interviews people who were involved in, like, craze of the moment sort of stories. It's Aftermath? Aftermath. As not to be confused with Aftermath starring Jamie Farr. No, no. And it's really good. I've been, it's on bio. I don't know if they still have new episodes or what, but they've been running the reruns like on Saturday mornings, and it's really good. It's like uh, he had uh, the guy who shot those teenagers on the subway in New York in the 80s, and uh, he had Jessica Lynch. He had uh, Mary J. Letourneau, the lady, the teacher who slept with her student. So it's like people who were involved in these like massive, scandalous-type stories and how they dealt with the whole thing and the, and the fallout of it. That is awesome. I would love to. I will watch that. Yeah. I've not. I've not even heard of it. I know. I never heard of it either. I was just flipping around, and I was like, because I knew that Bill Shatner had the talk show. Uh, and I'm like, what is this? Another Bill Shatner show? What? This guy's amazing. Yeah, the, uh, the one that hooked me was uh, Unabomber's brother. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, I was like, holy Ed shit. Kaczynski brother. That's great. Yeah, and it was like how he grappled with deciding to turn his brother in and how the FBI screwed him by, like, revealing to everybody that he was the one that turned his brother in. Yeah, talk about your awkward family reunions, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's worse than the plagiarist. Oh, yeah, I turned my brother in. He's in jail. Apparently, um, Unabomber not returning his letters. That's what he said. Well, I would be glad if the Unabomber did not return my letters. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, the dude who, who shot the teenager's I, I, I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning remembering that guy's name. What do you mean? I know, the, I know the guy's name. I remember following that story, and that name's going to pop in my head in the middle of the night, and I'm going to call you, Tim. Oh, no. <laughs> wake your ass up. Let me see if oh. I can find it here. Bernard, Bernie Getz. Bernie Getz. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'll sleep soundly tonight. <laughs> He, that was a chilling episode. That guy, I, I don't think he's all there in the head. So, but I don't know what to make of it. But he was very, he actually, he, he, he actually suggested to Shatner that he bring a, a model of the gun with him to the episode taping so he could actually recreate the, uh, the motion of his shooting. So, awesome TV. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. And it's a shame Timothy McVeigh's not still alive. This is true. I mean, at least for TV. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Then uh, he just had some interesting turns of phrase. Or something like Shatner was like, well, didn't you, how did you feel about the, you know, the awesome power of what you were doing and, you know, and, and pulling the trigger and all that? And he was like, that's the problem of the person who the bullet's going towards. Like that's not my concern. He's, so it's like, wow, dude, you are one cold fucking motherfucker, man. You are cold. He's like, didn't you think about that? He's like, 
that's not my problem. That's their problem. He's like, once the bullet leaves the chamber, that's someone else's issue. Shit, that's something Dirty Harry would say. Yeah, dude. He was he was intense. <laughs> oh, God. So you, you said here at the beginning of the conversation that, you know, you're, you've been doing some humorous stuff, obviously, you know, a little bit, maybe a little bit more than the paranormal. What do you have cooking here, you know? in the next few months, weeks, years, all that stuff. With what? Humor or what? With everything. What can people look forward to from you? Oh, with everything. I've, um, well, I've, I uh, drove to Canada this summer. Oh. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a humor uh, travel book because um, I just, you know, after, after I actually stems from, from, uh, my la- from one of my last paranormal books, uh, um, What Lurks Beyond, because in, in that book I, you know, found all the paranormal things I could within 100 miles of my house. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, damn, if I could find that, there's probably, you know, really cool non-paranormal things I could find. Right. So on uh, a stretch of old U.S. highway that's, like, right outside my door, um, it goes all the way up to International Falls. And, I mean, there are all sorts of, you know, things like Glenn Miller's birthplace, the band leader, uh, the town 4-H was founded in, um, Sinclair Lewis's, uh, boyhood home, really big fucking statues of really weird things like crows and Paul Bunyan. Uh, just a bunch of just really interesting things. The, um, uh, the, the, the town I stopped in, uh, is the, uh, the home of Dudley Do-Right of the Canadian Mounted Police. He was real? No. Of course not. He was a cartoon character, but that's where they said he was from. Oh, okay. He was he was from from Fort Francis, Ontario. So I mean, I wrote about all this stuff. I actually ran into a um, one paranormal story in uh, Long Prairie, Minnesota. A guy, a radio announcer. He was nineteen. He was just getting started. Uh, he was driving home, uh, rounded a corner out of the country, and there was a rocket sitting in the middle of the road. Jesus. And his car, just the electricity died, and he got out of the car, looked at it, and he was like, okay, i got to get around this. So he tried to start the car again because he was going to push it over. And the car wouldn't start, of course, so he got out, and, and these three uh, little robots that looked like tin cans got out on three legs and stared at him for a few minutes, got back up in the vehicle, it took off, and his car started. Jesus. Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of strange stuff. But uh, you'd like to think their robots are more advanced than ours, but that sounds like something you'd see in like Japan now, like a little tin can thing with little stick legs. No, it sounds like stuff that I saw in uh, you know Johnny Sacco and his flying robot back uh, when yeah. I was a kid. Well, yeah, I've got uh, I've got got uh, got that book I'm uh, I'm working on, and uh, right now another. Uh, uh, humor writer and I are, uh, are, we've got a website out, uh, it's actually a blogspot site, it's called Why Are Men Such Assholes? <laughs> it's, uh, at, uh, Why Are Men Such Assholes.blogspot.com and, and what the basic gist of this is, is we're taking questions from women that they've always wanted to ask guys, but either were too afraid to ask or didn't expect an honest answer from their boyfriend or husband. <laughs> so we're taking that and giving them an honest answer. Nice. It's not always polite. Uh-oh. And we drop the F-bomb a lot. Maybe it's rated R, but, uh, yeah. So it's like this show. Pretty much. So, yeah, that's why I mentioned it. So so that's out there. Interesting. All right. I'll just check that out. 
If you ever need input on, you know, assholeish tendencies, feel free to ask. Actually, Tim, uh, yeah, this guy and I, we were making lists of people we wanted to, to look at uh, look at the blog, and I was like, because uh, it's eventually something we're, we're hoping to turn into a book, but we're trying to get input from people to see if we're going in the right direction. And I wrote a list of people I was going to get an invite to look at, and your, yours was on there, and I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I should invite Tim. Oh, no, why? I don't know if I, I didn't want to offend Tim. Oh, no. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> All right. Well, take a look at it. Why are men such assholes? Blogspot.com. I will. I've just bookmarked it. So Awesome. Interesting. I'll have to check this, check this out. Jason Offit weighing in on the battle of the sexes. So that's it's an ongoing battle. Exactly. It's been going on since the Garden of Eden. <laughs> so, so that's in the humor realm. What about in the uh, the paranormal genre? Well, um, yeah, I, I mentioned it earlier. The uh, I'm, I'm looking at um, I'm compiling stories for uh, a book called Dangerous Entities. Oh, yeah. uh, in that, uh, I'll cover some of the things that I talked about uh, tonight. Uh, the priest, uh, the gnome. Uh, probably going to touch on uh, shadow people and black-eyed kids. Uh, they're also um, the Harlequin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to talk about the Harlequin. And there are also some encounters that I've collected uh, over the past year about human-looking people. They just they look like people, except for there's something about them that everybody around them recognizes as, you know, just being wrong. What do you just mean? Just being terrifying. Just the mere presence of this person makes you want to stand ten fucking feet away well you have a story in the on the blog actually I, I almost put it in the notes but i was trying to keep it tight but you have a story about a guy at a, at a bar and he's hitting on a woman and this like six foot eight monstrous man like sits down and 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 the woman like takes off and uh the guy seems to have some kind of weird like psychic connection almost like he can he knows the dude's name i think the guy's name was tim actually the guy's name was tim yeah Yeah. yeah, it was at a casino in california and this guy was uh like 200 miles away from home and and his home was a a town of about twenty thousand people and and he was he'd never seen this guy before he said he looked like he just was a lumberjack walked out of the forest and he was he was flirting with this girl next to him, and this guy he felt his presence before the guy even walked up and sat down. But when he got up and sat down, uh, he turned around and looked uh, at this guy. And when he turned back, the woman he was flirting with was was gone. And this guy started talking to him, yeah, like he kind of knew him, like you know, he called him by his name, Tim. He mentioned the name of the town this guy was from. Um, and, and this Tim was. Uh, and maybe you're like this too, Tim. This guy was unnerved, but he was like, damn it, I'm not going to leave before I finish my drink. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, when he finished his drink, the, the guy said, you're all right, Tim, uh, which kind of felt like uh, to, to Tim that this guy was saying, okay, I'm not going to kill you. And, and yeah, when he, when he went and talked to the, to the woman who ran, uh, uh, who, who ran off, he finally eventually found her someplace else in the casino and she said something like, didn't you get the I'm going to kill you and throw you in the back of my van vibe from that dude? <laughs> Jesus. That is weird. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, that's 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 one of the stories that, uh, that, that, that I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It tweaked me out when I was reading it. It's like, I think, honestly, dude, it's like a little past midnight here, and uh, 
every time I do these interviews with you, after I get off the phone, I'm like tweaked out for like, <laughs> like till I go to bed. So you're a spooky man. Well, that's, I'm, that's, you know, which is really, really always weirded me out that, that I can do that, but, uh, I also write some funny shit. I know, you're a funny guy too. I'm like, you know, yeah, there's some Sybil thing going on here, maybe. Now what about the, uh, the paranormal journalism course? I know you did that a few years ago. Any, any, uh, any motion to maybe get that going again, or is that kind of tied up with the politics of academia kind of thing? No, actually, every everybody uh, in uh, in in the department and in, in our uh, you know particular college of the university was was all for it. So, I mean, I, I could do it again probably any any time I wanted to. We've been going through curriculum revisions, so I've, I've put it on the back burner. But uh, I've got a lot of students that are interested, and I'm the paranormal guy, so I get all sorts of people wandering in my office. <laughs> You know, every you know, a couple times a week, asking you know, asking some some question about uh, about ghost UFOs or when I'm going to teach that class again. Nice. I'll let nice. you know what I do. Absolutely, please do. All right. So we've talked about upcoming humor projects and upcoming uh, paranormal stuff. And uh, next time I talk to you, will probably be in a couple weeks to uh, talk about upcoming baseball stuff. But by the time people hear this, it'll be after that. So we'll, yeah, we'll have our own weird time. Yeah, the story is uh, um, Tommy John surgery. Hopefully it'll be over by then and he'll be recuperating. Yeah. What is it with this Tommy John surgery, dude? Everyone's getting that now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just know that... Uh, we got a lot of bad news at once. We got uh, we were trying to we we were trying to talk to Peyton Manning. Well, he signed with our arch nemesis, the Broncos. <laughs> and about the, the same day, uh, the Missouri Tigers uh, lost in the first round of the NCAA, you know, tournament. And then uh, all these injuries happened. Yeah, in, 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 to our baseball team. So not good to be a Kansas City sports fan right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Or well. ever, I guess. <laughs> in the '80s, it was good. Yeah, I vaguely remember. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we've gone two and a half hours, and I, I just can't thank you enough, Jason. Uh, I can't believe how fast it went by, and just, just amazingly uh, quickly this went by. And I loved hearing about these stories and talking to you about these stories and trying to figure out what the hell's going on with these things. I mean, it's, you have an amazing life dealing with all these tales and stuff. Uh, I envy you. But sometimes I don't because I'm frightened by a lot of them. So, well, I, for me, it's mostly mostly all fun, not all of it, but mostly. And, and Tim, I always I always enjoy talking with you. It's like uh, we're sitting uh, sitting in a bar shooting the shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you once again for coming back on the show. And uh, you know, obviously, we're going to be talking again in the future for sure. Okay. Absolutely, man. Just uh, anytime you want to have me on. Be more than happy, buddy. That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Big, big thanks to our buddy Jason Offit for coming back on the show. Be sure to check out his many fine books and head on over to his website from hyphen the hyphen shadows dot blogspot dot com for many, many more creepy tales from Jason Offit. Be sure to check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, and we're going to break a little bit from tradition here, because we have got some breaking news that I'm sure the hardcore BOA Audio listeners will be very happy to hear, since it ties up one of the major running mysteries 
of the end caps of this program. As you heard last week, we got an email from Jason asking for an update on the mysterious William Zabel, and I mentioned that we had not found any new information about William Zabel since the last time we provided an update on the program. I wrote Jason back, and just by happenstance, he mentioned that he had found William Zabel on Facebook, but had not heard back from him. He tried to contact him. That was a revelation to me. I never even considered looking for William Zabel on Facebook. So, I punch in his name. Lo and behold, there's William Zabel on Facebook. Of course, I befriended him and then subsequently wrote him a message asking if this was William Zabel of Columbine Conspiracy fame. He accepted my friend request, and then the next day I received a response from William Zabel confirming that, yes, indeed, it is the William Zabel. Included in the response was an update on what he's been up to, as well as maybe some indication of what's been going on here with this mysterious disappearance. So I'm going to read an excerpt here from the message that William Zabel sent to me. He says, I am still working on Columbine and have in fact tracked nearly 50 people dead after April 20th, 1999, under suspicious circumstances. This not only includes students, but staff, parents, and others in some way connected to Columbine. The website is still not where I want it to be and have had strange things happen to it, causing me to change hosting companies three times now. I also think that somebody in government is blocking emails and phone calls, as I never got any of those after we talked the last time. I also have a friend who is helping me with continual research into school shootings, and she says that when she calls, a recorded message says the phone has been disconnected. Also, many people report that their emails get sent to me successfully, but I never receive them. So there you go. That's the update on William Zabel. He is alive and well. I responded to this message just to make things even more mysterious and bizarre. I responded to the message, said, you know, it's great to hear from you. Uh, I don't know what's been going on here and why you haven't gotten any of my emails and stuff. That is all very strange. We would love to have you back on the program to get an update on what you've been working on. Sent that message to him last week and, of course, have yet to hear any response from William Zabel to that invitation to come back on the program. So I'm going to say, you know, at this point, I'm 90% sure this is the real William Zabel, but who knows? This could be a William Zabel imposter. This could be somebody just pretending to be William Zabel, sort of riding on the infamy of the episode and his subsequent disappearance, but I'm pretty sure it is William Zabel. It sounded like him in the tone of the message, but I cannot confirm 100% until I get on the phone with him and speak to him. I am really hoping that we can connect with William Zabel sometime here in the next few weeks and get him back on BOA Audio, if indeed it is the real William Zabel. I will keep everybody posted as to the status of this mystery, but for now, I feel pretty safe in saying that William Zabel is alive and well, and he has been found, and nothing nefarious has happened to him. So, mystery solved here on the program, and hopefully we'll get him back on the show in the near future to expand on the Columbine conspiracy and pick up where we left off a few years ago here on the program. I got to give big thanks to Jason, who mentioned the whole Facebook connection. I never would have even thought 
to look for William Zabel on Facebook. Everybody's on Facebook, I guess. So thank you to Jason for uh, providing the last piece of the puzzle to tracking down the mysterious William Zabel. Since it is BOA Audio listener feedback, we'll do one email here from a listener that made me laugh, and uh, then we'll get you on your way. This one comes from Tom in Dayton. Here's what he has to say. Roland Watson, just one thing I don't understand. That was the subject line. And then all in caps, every bleeping word that guy said, with all exclamation points. Sincerely, Tom in Dayton. And he actually didn't say bleeping. He said, uh, asterisk, percentage, carrot, money sign, that whole thing. Kudos for creativity in, in the bleeping part. And, uh, I, I, I feel your pain, Tom. I understand where you're coming from. I was concerned at times that people might have a hard time sort of getting into the Roland Watson episode because his Scottish accent was so thick. But, when I listened to it, I understood all of it, and when I did the interview with him, I understood everything that he had to say. So I feel like the more you listen, the better understanding you get of what Roland Watson was saying. And there are a lot of programs out there that wouldn't have Roland Watson on the show because they'd be afraid that his accent was too thick, but BOA Audio takes the risks, and we bring on the guests regardless of how they sound, as long as they're not speaking a totally foreign language and I can't understand them. So... Apologies to you, Tom, that you did not enjoy that program, presumably. But stay tuned, there's plenty more programs coming down the pike at you here from BOA Audio. Thus concludes this installment of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Thanks to Tom in Dayton for the chuckle-inducing email. And, of course, thanks once again to Jason for helping us with the additional clue to track down William Zabel. If you'd like to be a part of future installments of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, there are a myriad of ways to do so. You can head on over to binallofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com, and click the Contact button. Or just write to boaaudio at hotmail.com, and I'll receive your email there. And if you want to get a little more interactive, you can join up at the official BOA forum, the US of E.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. It is BOA's paranormal playground. Lots of cool folks there talking about the world of the esoteric as well as pop culture. Always lots of fun to be had at the US of E. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that we are on Facebook and Twitter. So just punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, into their search engines and you'll find me on those sites. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good and I'd be happy to add you to my online circle of friends. And if you are on Facebook, check out the Benal of America page there. Like us on Facebook and you'll get cool updates and additional ramblings from me regarding the BOA franchise. Up next, please allow me to thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. We got a new column posted since the last time you heard from me. That one's from Bruce Pretty talking about the Marjorie Fish star map case, and I'm sitting on a couple columns 
from Regan Lee and Leslie. So stay tuned to Banal of America for new missives from the longtime BOA staff members. We say it all the time, but it bears repeating, my friends. If you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Banal of America, then you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the hardcore BOA audio listeners who've stuck around to the very end and ask you to make a donation to help keep the BOA franchise up and running. There are two ways in which you can help us out. First of all, you can head on over to Vinal of America and click the PayPal button. That's on the left-hand side of the screen. That'll bring you to PayPal. They'll help you to facilitate a donation to BOA. Or you can write to us at our snail mail address, and that is as follows. Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass. 01866. The complete address, of course, can be found at Benall of America under the PayPal button. As always, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping Banal of America and BOA Audio up and running, freely available and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of BOA Audio, we've got another mind-bending installment of the program for you, my friends. Our guest is Gerard Williams, co-author of the truly captivating and sensational book, Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler, and this is a tremendous conversation. I loved this book and could not wait to sit down with Gerard Williams and explore this story. Essentially, Gerard Williams and his co-author lay out the case that Adolf Hitler escaped from Germany and ended up hiding out in Argentina following World War II. I can't really give you too much of a preview here because I haven't sat down and edited the program. That's on my agenda for later tonight. But I can tell you it's not just the Hitler death hoax story we're going to explore. We're also going to talk about a whole bunch of little things involving World War II. I guess little is probably not the right word. We're going to talk about the insane plundering of Europe by the Nazis, how they stole all kinds of art and artifacts throughout Europe. We're going to get into really some of the players behind the scenes in the Nazi party and how they were really pulling the strings behind Hitler. And we'll get into some of the really specialized units of the British and American armies that were running around throughout Europe during the war doing all kinds of weird stuff. So it's not just the Hitler death hoax. It's a lot of other additional sort of... uh esoteric and arcane elements surrounding World War II, and truly a conversation that I really, really enjoyed quite a bit. And I think the BOA audio listeners are going to be captivated by this edition of the program. That's next time on BOA Audio, Gerard Williams, co-author of Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Big, big thanks once again to Jason Offit for coming back on the show. Big thanks to Tom in Dayton for writing in for BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And, of course, 
enormous thanks to all the folks out there who are listening right now. The hardcore BOA audio listeners, you guys are the best. The fuel that drives the BOA mothership. Thank you for your support of the program. You folks are amazing. Thank you once again for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.